And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, a very special edition on this Easter night of the other side of midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn where we explore the farthest limits of human imagination, science, and boldly go where a lot of people have at some point in our immense history, our immense hidden history, have gone before. Tonight is going to be a very special program. In addition to it being Easter, the theme of tonight's program with my uh, uh, our friend and colleague, uh, David Sarita, is something which is it, – it, this is not easy for either of us tonight to talk about because he's going to be talking about Crystal – his uh, wife, who a year and a half or more ago died, tragically, suddenly. And I'm going to, depending upon the relevance, um, talk a bit about Robin, because separately, we have been enjoying, if one can, can use that term, a very curious relationship with someone we care desperately about, in another dimension. I'm, 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 I'm kind of picturing that scene in Star Trek where Kirk and Spock are on separate sides of the glass and Spock holds up his hand and Kirk puts his hand over it. They were together but totally separated, could never in that venue come together. That's kind of like the way I, I feel, and of course I believe David kind of feels the same way, but there is something remarkable, consistent, and in the, in the language of science, predictive about the communication going on between me and Robin and David and Crystal. And I have been debating very, very hard, long and hard with myself and with a number of other people that I've talked to about this over over it's been four years and a month and a few days since Robin left, and it feels like four days, not four years. Anyway, um, let me start with things that are in the news that are relevant to our uh, conversation for the rest of the morning. Item number one for those of you, by the way, who are new to the other side of midnight, what you want to do is you want to get on the web. If it's on your phone, you can do two channels. You can listen and you can look through the website I'm going to give you momentarily. And you will find, if you click on theothersideofmidnight.com, that's our URL, theothersideofmidnight.com, click on that. That will take you to the show page. And at the top of the show page, there is a banner, uh, which is actually an illustration from uh, Dante's Paradiso, one of the uh, uh, <clears throat> images representing his first level of heaven, which is the moon. And tonight we're talking about new evidence supporting Dante's visit in Paradiso to what I believe scientifically, and I'm going to try to bring out some data to corroborate this as the evening progresses, that we live in a designer solar system. I mean, that's kind of like what Dante's, you know, meta message was. But what I think we might be able to explore with some 
very interesting positive results tonight is the implication of why we are living in a designer solar system. So click on that banner. That will take you to tonight's guest page. And under the guest page where it says, <clears throat> uh, under the banner on the guest page where it says to listen to the show, you'll see fast links to items and fast links to bios. Click on my items. Click on my name there. That will take you to the section of the guest page where we have our radio with pictures, images, and links, and music, and all kinds of things are, are here. So click on item number one. This is a uh, uh, public broadcasting system story from early in the week. Remember, we talked last night about that was the week that was, how all kinds of amazingly revolutionary and catalytic things happened in the legal political realm in just this past week. Well, something that kind of passed by the radar, because it really is not political, was that on Monday, NASA officially named the four astronauts who will fly around the moon during the upcoming Artemis II lunar mission, which will not be leaving and has nothing to do with technology or expertise or knowledge or whatever. It's simply money. NASA does not have enough money to launch Artemis II within like a month or two of Artemis I. So it will be delayed until around late 2024. So at the same time that the American electorate is wrestling between two choices, whoever the Republican candidate that they nominate will be, and whoever the Democratic candidate that they will nominate will be, and I think our consensus from last night is there is a serious probability that those names will not be <clears throat> uh, Trump and Biden. They may be someone or someones else. Anyway, during the height of the election campaign for the incredibly important, pivotal presidential U.S. election of 2024, this Artemis II mission is going to be dropped into the mix. And those four astronauts boldly going where someone in Apollo had gone before are going to encounter the most staggering, the most astonishing, the most catalytic change-making discovery probably in the history of science, if not of humankind. This is like a year and a half away, boys and girls. This is coming at us like in the old-fashioned metaphor, a runaway freight train or in the new one at Warp 9. Because what they are going to encounter from a close lunar orbit is the stunning architectural dimensions and scientific and technological reality of the ancient, incredibly eroded remains of a lunar-wide ancient glass dome completely covering to a height of tens of miles the moon. And that is an inevitable confrontation which can only be kind of messed with around the edges. Because in the same time frame, there will be eight 
I'm sorry, nine civilian astronauts leaving on Elon Musk's starship who will be part of a Japanese billionaire's treat of fellow artists and um, creatives to a free trip to the moon, around the moon for three days, and then home, where the civilian, private, non-NASA, non-military, non-deep state, non-censored, non-abridged human beings under Elon Musk's stewardship will be able to look at the same stunning architecture all over the moon and report back live via Twitter what they're seeing, which, of course, in our model, is the harbinger of the designer solar system that I've been talking about now for some time, of which we are a part, of which the moon, the planets, the sun, the design, the geometry, the orbits, the spacing, the rotation periods, all of which was designed for an outcome, for a purpose. And tonight is kind of like the opening chapter, courtesy of Crystal Sarita, of what that purpose might, in fact, become. So, without further ado, check out item number one. Item number two, speaking of Elon Musk, uh, last night during our very lively and thankfully very civil conversation, I, I, I want to tip my hat to Robert Morningstar, who was an avid, 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 avid Trump devotee. I think it goes far beyond political support, but that's that's just me. Your mileage may vary. Uh, Robert was very forthright in his, uh, uh, you know, assessments of where we are, and intriguingly, he and I agree on one fundamental thing: this indictment of Trump, of the 45th president, was long overdue in terms of bringing the presidency of the United States within the purview of the U.S. Constitution. That having been said, we both agree this will be a tour de force that an awful lot of people who should be but have not been paying attention uh, will pay attention to. So we will get a crash course in constitutional law, in criminal law, in the rights of defendants, the rights of the states, opposing camps of attorneys and representation, and a remarkable tour de force of what it is to really be an American, which is what separates us from all other nations on this planet, this experiment going forward. All right, Um, Elon Musk in the last few days in kind of like, um, uh, you know, a hyperdimensional answer to uh, uh, Morningstar's query last night. Because during our conversation, uh, Robert interjected into the discussion the idea that among the other noteworthy things that had happened this week, there had been a major call by a number of researchers and uh, politically connected individuals uh, on the on the, on the – uh, dangers, potential dangers of AI. And lo and behold, when I checked my news feeds this morning in preparation for tonight's show, 
there in several outlets. I picked the one from Reuters, which is uh, pretty balanced. Reuters is a very good source of mainstream news. Uh, there is a very extensive article about Musk and others urging the AI community to pause in their extraordinary warp nine rate research into artificial intelligence. What we currently have, which is being passed off as AI, it isn't really. It's just very, very, very fast number crunching. True AI, as Stan Tannen and I and uh, even Marvin Minsky and I many, many years ago discussed on one of my ocean cruises that Marvin happened to be uh, a member of. For those of you who don't you know, know, Marvin Minsky was the basic modern founder of the concept of artificial intelligence, a la the AI lab uh, there at MIT, which he headed for many, many years. And uh, he felt that the, that the approach, the basically number crunching approach uh, to AI at that time was not correct. And uh, he is correct. It is not. However, if the searchers for real artificial intelligence which, of course, raises some semantic issues. Can artificial intelligence really be artificial if it's intelligent? Anyway, um, that whole conversation is moving at a very fast rate in a very um, uh, results-oriented direction. And so it's remarkable that just uh, within hours of uh, Robert raising the issue here on the other side of midnight last night, there is a mainstream news article citing Musk and others who are calling for a serious pause in AI research, citing risks to society. Uh, before we move on, one thing you might all want to do is to kind of chase down uh, so some of those movies we talked about last night. Like, if you really think that AI in a supercomputer is going to be beneficial for the future of humankind, you need to see a movie called Colossus, the Forbin Project. I strongly urge you, go find it on YouTube. Go find it on some obscure other website. Go find it, you know, on satellite television or cable or whatever. Find it and watch it. It is a very well done, very well produced, very thoughtfully created cautionary tale to which reality has now caught up and that is represented by the story in item number two uh item number three click on that okay that will make it full screen actually there should be a way for me to size these so they just fit on the screen uh note to self ask keith how to do this in the future because you have to kind of scroll a little bit back and forth to see these this is a web image a new web image which i put together as a composite <clears throat> of both the uh, unabridged or rather un-annotated um, frame and the annotated frame done by NASA showing certain features. The one thing that they miss in the image on the right, which is the annotated version, they've got clouds, they've got the polar cap, which uh, you'll see a bit better in the next image, and then they've got the uh, uh, one of the rings, the so-called Zeta ring, which is, uh, they're like five rings, very thin, dusty rings around the planet Uranus, 
which is one of the gas giants in the outer solar system, takes something like 84 years to go around the sun once, has about 30 times the mass of the Earth, uh, maybe a huge ball of water and ice and hydrocarbons and rock and whatever, with an ocean somewhere deep beneath those clouds. But it's the clouds I want you to pay attention to. Because look at the bright ring around the planet, which is the inner circle, the inner disk. That's the planet Uranus. And the elliptical rings around it are not elliptical. They're elliptical because <clears throat> the image was shot at an angle to the ring. So, of course, they appear as ellipses as opposed to face-on as perfect circles, which they actually are. All round the limb of Uranus, notice that bright glowing ring, which is denoted in the image on the right where it says clouds. Um, one brilliant set of clouds, which is very bright, kicking back specular reflection into the web camera, located several billion miles away from Uranus in the inner solar system, in a distant million mile orbit of the Earth. That's where Webb is tonight. This is called a near cam image. Near cam means near infrared, which stretches from like 0.6 microns to five microns. So it's not thermal. You're not looking at heat energy. You're looking at basically long, long, long wave red light beyond the red end of the visible spectrum. And what the NASA people have done is of course, take three images and three separate filters in this infrared wave band, which are equivalent to colors. And then they assign the shortest wave band to blue, the middle range to green, and the long wave end of that uh, three uh, filter composite to red. And bingo, you get a synthetic color image, which is kind of like an echo of a visible light Hubble image. What's really interesting again, is that brilliant ring around the horizon, around the limb of Uranus itself. It's blindingly bright. Why? Because that is the thick Uranian atmosphere backscattering sunlight, which has traveled all the way from the sun, billions of miles out to Uranus, and then back to Earth, Earth orbit, and web to be recorded by the near-cam cameras. The reason this is interesting, is stunning, can be seen in image number four, which is right under image number three. So back out of three, go into four, click on it. The image on the left is a Denuri uh, South Korean unmanned spacecraft image of our own moon, Luna, taken a few days after launch uh, in August of uh, 2022. The image on the right, is a somewhat enhanced version, uh, contrast, uh, enhanced, et cetera, et cetera, of the images in number three. Here you can clearly see the atmospheric backscatter ring, which is the longest tangential path length tangent to the planet, encountering the most atmosphere, obviously, and therefore the atmosphere of Uranus in this wave band appears to be a brilliant glowing ring grading toward the inner part of the planet as the atmosphere path length gets uh, shorter as you move from the edge of the disk toward the center of the disk. So far, so good. 
Now, why am I comparing these two? Because the image on the left, minus the rings orbiting, you know, the planet, looks a lot like the image on the right, except, of course, it's not in color. Why is that? Because there's something above the moon, tangentially cross-referenced uh, and backscattering sunlight back to the camera, just like at Uranus, except we know from flotillas of unmanned spacecraft and the Apollo program and the instruments and all the research which has been done by astronomy up until the era of the space age, we know that the moon does not have an atmosphere. So how can there be an identical backscattered ring at the farthest distance around the planet, the edges, just like Uranus, of two disparately, incredibly different objects, source objects, mass, rotation, composition, and yet they appear to superficially have the same kind of optical phenomenon going on just above their surfaces. The answer, the object on the right, Uranus, the backscatter is caused by the atmosphere. Because we know the moon has no atmosphere, including from the ALSEP instruments left on the surface, the density is like one ten or one hundred trillionth of the Earth's atmosphere. That brilliant ring cannot be caused by an atmosphere. So what's left? Obviously, even though for most people, they now at this point in the conversation, they freak out. Obviously, it's got to be something other than a natural atmosphere, i.e. an artificially mega superstructure created above the moon, all over the moon, far side, near side, the edges of the limbs, by some super intelligent, super advanced, ultimately extraordinarily technologically advanced race of intelligent beings who were the guys in my model who redesigned the solar system, all of it in which we currently live for some reason, which brings us to David Sarita. If you go to the other side of midnight, the, click on the bio links under the uh, uh, under David's name there on the on the guest page. Uh, you'll see a very long uh, biogra- biography of David. David is a polymath. He is a generalist. He tinkers with basic science. He's extremely experienced with Pythagorean numbers, uh, Hebrew, and other gematria. He has co-produced and edited scores of documentaries. He has produced books. He's scored music. He has worked with technology, including uh, crystals, which resonate to very intriguing hyperdimensional frequencies. Anyway, long story short, David is my guest tonight because he somehow has opened up communication or maybe is a recipient of communication from his dear departed wife, Crystal, and this may offer us tonight a window on why we now demonstrably live in a designer solar system, which has been written about historically in poetry and art and prose, 
the most interesting of which was the Paradiso and other writings of a 14th century writer named Dante. David, welcome to the other side. Richard, you know, it, I was just thinking this as you're introducing the moon in Dante. I read Dante's entire Divine Comedy, which includes the new life, La Vita Nueva, which is the love story of his beloved Beatrice. Dante sees this woman, Beatrice. She's very young. She's a teenager. She's actually only 13. Well, they seem to have married younger in those days. <laughs> well, he didn't marry her. This is what's really ironic. So he sees Beatrice across the room and he faints. He thinks, this is going to be my wife. And Jesus picks him up in this vision when he's passed out and said, she's your beloved. Don't worry. She's going to be your beloved. Well, Dante never marries her and because she doesn't notice him, but she dies of the flu as as a teenager and he's mad at Jesus. You know, you said he's my beloved. He marries this other woman, has kids. Later in Dante's life, he has these mystical experiences through fasting and noting the positions and the timing of the planets and the solstices of the equinoxes. And he goes through the nine levels of, of Inferno, which is held by the, his guide, his infallible guide, is the poet Virgil, who wrote the Aeneid. And then Virgil then takes him through the nine levels of Purgatory. And without going into hell and Purgatory, and Purgatory is purging, cleansing, when he finally comes to his vision of the first heaven, which is, which is he's leaving the earth and going to the moon, he sees Beatrice shining with light with Jesus Christ, and she is his beloved. She's going to be his life after death contact. Ah. And what's amazing for both you and I, Richard, is that we've talked about this off the air, the experiences you're having with Robin. And when my wife died August 9th, which is the anniversary of Nagasaki, um, a very tragic death after being forced against her will to take medication postpartum um, um, illness. She ended her life tragically on that day. And without going into detail about that, I didn't, in, in the middle of the night when she died, she was distant from me because she took a cab and did this. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I heard her voice and it sounded like a staticky AM radio station. David, really frantic. And I wake up and I track my wife's phone and it's on the side of the mountain and it's it's the middle of the early, early morning. And I'm like, oh my God, something must have happened. You know, she didn't come home. So that marked well you're home with the two girls right i'm home with my kids yeah and we're we're passed up we went to bed early sometimes she would come home late um so anyway without going into that it marked the beginning of of my contact and what's interesting about dante dante doesn't poetically channel or intuit this stuff he actually experiences it through fasting and prayer and meditation and he ends up. So these were not dreams on Dante's part. These were conscious visions brought on by monastic practices of the period. Right, exactly. And so Beatrice is his true beloved. 
in that he didn't really love his wife. I mean, he married, but he was he, he she becomes his guide through the nine levels of heaven. And in Dante's model, when he goes into into the heaven state after coming out of purgatory, he's temporarily blinded. There's so much love coming from Christ and Beatrice that he's overwhelmed by it. And it takes him a while to regain his faculties and his observances. And then he's so detailed the way he describes what it feels like. I'll to tell be you what, we're at the bottom of the hour, so let's yeah. hold it there. My guest this morning for the first hour or so is David Sarita. Georgia Lambert is going to be joining us, our resident metaphysician, who's got some really amazing backstory research. This so worked so well last night that I kind of, uh, that we're talking about, and among a lot of other things, the age of Aquarius. As Rick Levine showed us last night, if you think this is amazing, wait till you see what's going to happen next. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard G. Hoagland. We shall return. Mystic Crystal Revelation. And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, this Easter Sunday night. We have a really different and interesting take, I must say, on the whole concept of reincarnation, let alone resurrection. So stick with us. Okay, David, I had to interrupt you there in the middle of something really extraordinary. Please continue. Okay, so what happens, Richard? I mean, first of all, I've been meditating my entire life every single day doing breathing, meditation, and frequency practices. So the ability to hear my wife's voice, I want you to understand, is audible. It's not like you're getting a thought pattern remembrance of their voice in your head. The experiences I'm going to describe are so profound that the the experience of her voice is acoustic. Like it jolted me out of my sleep when, when these things happened, including the night she died. I was literally like a lightning bolt pulled out of bed hearing this. So I also use very powerful frequency tools in the room where I sleep. And I have a staff that's tuned to a very specific frequency. And so the... the oh, I, I, I wonder what that was in your essay because every time I hit that word, I thought staff, staff. What the heck is a staff? Is it a typo? Is it a mis? What is it? It's a well, phys- see, it's a physical tune antenna staff. Right. See, Jesus in Mark six one through eight tells the apostles they have to have their staff when he disperses them, like Moses and the twelve leaders of the twelve tribes had their staff, and the staff is an antenna because. God tells Moses to put a copper coil, which is a serpent in the symbolic language, around a pole, and that's how Tesla invented radio. In fact, Tesla was very biblical in a lot of his discoveries. He put wait, 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 copper... wait, 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 really? This is really? this was what Tesla glommed onto to lead him to electromagnetics. Right. His first radio demonstrated at Chicago World's Fair in 1893 was just a copper coil. Remember, when I was a kid in Berkeley, my dad was 
getting a PhD in psychology. He was assistant professor at Berkeley. And there I am, you know, at the University Village in Albany, and I'm making my first radio in the front yard. You get a toilet paper roll and you wrap the copper wire around it and you solder it to a, a diode. Um, and then you got your earbud headphones and you got this little copper rod and you slide it up and down the Wait, wait, don't you need a Galena crystal or something? Yeah, there's a little crystal diode. And so there's just very few parts. So that's a two- It's really a solid state radio before transistors. Yeah, but when Tesla first demonstrated radio, he didn't invent the tuning device. That was um, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled June 21st, 1943, the Tesla Lodge and Stone. Lodge and Stone did the tuning circuit. Right. Tesla just did exactly what God told Moses to do. He put a copper coil, which, which is in the length. Of a, a ser- he didn't put a serpent on a pole. It's not like Moses was walking around with a fiery brass <laughs> snake. He would have bit him, right? I mean, it's the One language of symbols. You. Yeah. So that's what Tesla did. So I have. Okay. I, 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 have, I, 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 I can't not ask you this. Have you, in terms of biblical uh, records, measured or duplicated the staffs described in the old testament oh yeah and oh, do they perfect. can do they uh, you know subscribe to certain frequencies absolutely we've talked about on, ah okay okay so here's see the height of a monopole antenna is one quarter of the wavelength it will transmit right. and receive at so we know in the book of of hebrews in the bible that the staff of Aaron lay in the ark, which is two and a half cubits. So he's telling you right there how high it is, right? But you got to have the right cubit. And that took me years to get the perfect <laughs> cubit. So I measure, I mean, my company sells these at, at davidserita.co. People get staffs all the time. So they're beautiful, but they have this incredible coil and you plug it into a frequency generator and you transmit frequencies through it. Actually, believe it or not, and I've done a lot of math, the staff of two and a half cubits transmits a wavelength of 10 cubits and the, and the original Holy of Holies as a tabernacle of Moses with 10 cubits. And the queen's chamber is 10 cubits. Mm. So my staff is so perfectly tuned, and it's interesting because when I hear the voice of my wife and even my mother appeared – right next to my staff within five feet of it um, after uh, some time after she died. I saw her with my own eyes. I would always hear a static like AM kind of zapping sound, like, you know, when you're tuning your old radio in the car, it's doing that. I would hear that before the voice. And when I first heard my wife when she died, she called my name out and it sounded like you were tuning your AM dial and you're getting some static, but you're hearing it. That's what it sounded like. And it was coming from my staff. Mm-hmm. So remember, if you look at all the Egyptian iconography, all the gods, Osiris, Isis, Hathor, they all had their staffs. And then Jesus, if you read Mark 6, 1 through 8, he's urging the apostles. You, ha- you could no money in your purse, no bread, nothing but your staff when he disperses the the apostles. So there's a reason for it, obviously. He, he's the master. He's telling them what they need to stay in contact. So I think that's an important part of this, why this is happening to me. But what happens next is if you click on my item one, there, there's a there's a very detailed article 
that my wife will call my voice, and you'll see this at a precise interval of days between the time she died, August the 9th, 2021, and the given date where she calls my voice, and the number of days is code. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. This is the part when I was writing the promo, I was a little confused because I think we need to do a little more editing on this essay, but the night she died, her voice in a staticky form coming from this tuned staff you had created from ancient Hebraic measurements in the Old Testament, her voice statically seemed to come out from that staff and woke you out of a sound sleep and that's how you began to put together the fact that she was in trouble when was the next time that you heard well the next time and this is in the essay she seemed to call call my name exactly on the ninth of every month thereof for the first so wait wait she died on august 9th of 2021 do you mean on September 9th of 2021, you heard her? Yeah, I heard her, and my kids were having experiences as well. It's like an anniversary thing, Richard, where this was – it was perfectly timed. And what ends up happening is – and this is in the article – is on the um, – I think it's the eighth month, she would would be – 243 days after she died and she calls out my name actually she calls out my name this is interesting because you know about 432 of course and where when she was cremated using jimmy blanchett's antenna in northern arizona we sent out recordings of crystal's songs and and the children's voices at 100 and over 175,000 watts, we sent her to the sun, to Mercury, to Venus, to Mars, to Jupiter, and Saturn. We, we sent... You know, this was out. the same antenna that we used with your cooperation right. and Jimmy's to send the so-called Muamua messages. Right. So what's interesting is when, when she, she called up my voice at the 243 days after she died, that's the exact number of days it takes Venus to counter rotate once. So one yes. Venus day. Good grief, David. One one Venus day is two hundred and forty three Earth uh two hundred and forty three Earth days. Two hundred and forty three days uh of Earth time, Venus will it, it counter rotates. So all the other planets are going clockwise and Venus is counter-rotational. It's the only planet in the solar system. Well, wait, 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 wait. August to September is one month. That's 30 days. Where's the 243 come in? Oh, no, that, that's we're, – we're at eight months now. I think we're – where do I have it? On uh, on April the 9th – sorry, April the 9th, 2022 is 243 days. So Which is exactly to- one right. Earth 365 and a quarter days – after no no we're not there yet no no that's another thing that that's the next experience so this no no no, tonight is april 9th so a year ago tonight wait a second oh my god i can't even believe this a year ago tonight is when you got your first 243 transmission oh my god and we're doing and he hasn't noticed and what will she do tonight 
Oh, my God, Richard, this is mind-blowing. And will she do it on the other side of midnight? Crystal, come in, please. And you know what's funny? Last April 9th, 2022, at 243, it wasn't Easter. But this year it is. Yep. Oh, my God, I'm glad you noticed that. So what shocked me about the 243 days is, of course, that's one Venus day. It's Yeah. It, and so I look at Dante's model, and I go, is Crystal on Venus, which is his third level of heaven? Is that what she's telling me, right? And notice she called up my name on 234 days, and they're all components of the number 432. And Jimmy's antenna sent her recordings out at 432 megahertz. So 234, 432, and 243 all have the same numbers, right? Yep. They're, they're, and so so then after that experience, and I was flabbergasted, I was like, okay, this, this isn't mythic in the sense that it isn't true, and it's just storytelling. Remember, you know the scene in Carl Sagan's book and movie, Contact, where, where – um, Jodie Foster's character's dad says, you know, it seems like an awfully waste of space that there's nobody else out there but us, yep, right? Yep. So Pythagoras taught that not only did the the planets in our solar system comprise of a hidden music scale, and in Jamie James' book, which is just called Music of the Spheres, which crystal Which is another book, way of saying frequency. Right. So... In, in his book, Music of the Spheres, there's this scene of this goddess Harmony, who is the daughter of Venus, the goddess Venus, or a daughter of Venus. She comes into this wedding feast, and she's playing an instrument that reminds me of Ezekiel's wheels, because it has wheels within wheels, and it's on her chest, and it's playing the most beautiful music. It has outdone the Pythagorean music scale. It had outdone probably the Orphic music scale. Nobody had ever heard music like this. And after the wedding, she's approached by uh, Pythagorean philosophers saying, how did you create music with wheels instead of, a, instead of stringed instruments? And she's saying, the music that's coming out of my instrument comes from the proportions of the planets. Mm. Incredible. So when you see what Crystal's doing here, we're now going to jump in in the article to understanding that Dante, what Dante's saying and what the Pythagoreans are saying, and Dante's Catholic, by the way, everybody, and also, you know, there's that scene in the Bible, and, and it's in Second Corinthians twelve twenty one that says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I, I do not know, God knows, right? So the third heaven being Venus. We should also note that in the book of Revelation, Jesus declares himself the bright morning star, that he, which is Venus, right? Yep. And therefore, in the book of, um, I think it's in Isaiah, Satan or Lucifer is cast out of the bright and morning star down to the earth with all his fallen angels. So that would establish that Venus is a platform being right next to Earth, as Mars is, being close to Earth, that the supreme being God is not going to allow evil to exist there, but would throw it down to the Earth, which, of course, could explain 
you know, a lot of the craziness down oh, here. So just look around, yeah. Yeah, so that's very interesting to me. So Crystal is telling me in, in perfect numerical value that she's on Venus, this most important bright and morning star. Oh, hang on, the- hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's not look at this literally. Let's look at this from a hyperdimensional perspective. Because when you sent me that first draft of the essay, the thing that really kind of clicked that, uh, you know, it's kind of like I grokked, it's an old Heinlein term, was that the planets, the moon, et cetera, these objects, these celestial objects in Dante are referenced in terms of frequency. So is it possible, I ask myself, that it's not that Crystal is on Venus, but that Venus is a portal, a doorway, a tuned frequency entry point to allow you to exit this system in three dimensions to get to higher dimensions or conversely come back through and communicate to you because of her matching frequencies. I, I think you're, you're okay. We're getting really close to that understanding now because what just happened is during spring break, I took my kids, Astaria and Alara, to Banff, Alberta, Canada. And it's interesting, Banff, the town of Banff was built by Masonic masters, sits at 51 degrees in one minute, which is exactly <laughs> their Stonehenge. Stonehenge, yes, wow. Yeah. So we're in the hotel, and it's March 23rd. 2023 and I, I'm going to sleep and actually um, I, I have my, my daughter wears with her friend in another room. This is just hotel. a few weeks ago now. This is only a few weeks ago and and my littlest one sleeping next to me and we got this like sleepy time music going on in this Bose stereo system. So even with that noise, I'm falling asleep and boom, Crystal's voice rang out louder than the music. That's how clear it was. Oh. It was so crystal clear and i'm at the and it's not on the ninth of the month no it's march 23rd now now so i get up i do the same thing how many days has it been since she died and the number i'm about to give you is so astounding because it's the master code that connects the all the planets and the number of earth days in their orbits to the golden ratio she gives me it's 591 days after she died now, I wake up, okay, you get out your calculator, people. you got to do this because <laughs> it's going to tell you where you go when we die. The, the, the solar system Well, is it tells some people, because remember, Robin left and I think is doing what she's doing through the moon. That's why I chose the moon from Dante's Perger. Uh, but that's the first heaven. Yeah. And it's blindingly bright there it's it's not you're not going to see what we see when we look at the moon because you're in a hyperdimensional body that now don't think of these as physical places these are dimensional spaces so as i said to rick last night our resident astrologer hyperdimensional astrologer the doorways the gates the portals between 3d and higher d is based on frequency and mass and angular momentum. And when you do the math, the moon, because it's paired with the Earth-Moon system, is a different resonant frequency than Venus, Mercury, the Sun, Jupiter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So what I find remarkable, here we have two women who died long before they should have. One goes through the Venus doorway, that's crystal. The other goes through the lunar doorway, and that's Robin. Well, watch this. I, I think it gets more, it's going to get more advanced than that. So I wake up in the middle of 591 days, and I, I take the square root, the cube root, and I'm like divided by pi, 3.14, nothing. And I go, you know what? Why has she be- broken the pattern of 999? It's got to be something significant. So I take 581 divided by the golden ratio, 1.618033988878. So that's to perfection. And I divide it, and I go, it's 365.25. Holy criminy. Holy crap. That is the accuracy to the exact sidereal year on Earth, 365.25. 0.25 and the decimals keep going is exactly how many days there are on an earth here. So watch Richard. Then I go again. I divided it by the golden ratio again. I'm at 225. The number of days Venus orbits to have the one year. Sun, the Venus year. The Venus year. And then I do it again and I get 139.5 and I don't know what that means. And I divide it again and I get Mercury's year. I accurate to now, you have to understand, when I say accurate to 97%, 98%, the golden ratio is a progressive ratio that starts with a ratio of 1 to 2, 1 to 1.5, 1, 1 to 1.6, 1, 1 to 1.6666, and eventually 1 to 1.618. Oh, uh, four and then oh three and it just goes forever like pi. Right. So if I'm accurate with three planets in the golden ratio going into Mercury, because Mercury is 88 days, and the number I get is 86.22, so my accuracy on Mercury is 97.98 percent. That's incredible. Okay. Let me let me stop you there. Yeah. There will be people in the audience saying, oh, you guys are – I want whatever you're smoking. Please send me some of your stuff. The fact that these numbers are not exact is perfectly understandable in a 3D realm of entropy where there are frictional losses. In other words, when the designers redesigned the solar system – and remember, I said last night that out of – you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 planetary systems now that, that NASA's found and other agencies, other, other astronomers have found uh, the, over this part of the galaxy. Our solar system is the only one that looks like ours, that is scale like ours. Big planets outside, little guys, rocky guys inside, et cetera, et cetera, with these incredible mathematical ratios in terms of their orbits and spins and all that. When this system was designed, or I should say maybe redesigned, you start the clock, okay? You begin the countdown. However many years or millions of years elapsed between the redesign of the solar system and now, I think is reflected in the fact that your numbers are really, really, really close but not exactly right on. They're accurate to 97, 98, 99, but not 100 because of entropy. Right, and and entropy explains it. And 
also, when you read Zechariah, which for those folks that are not physicists means friction, frictional losses, heat transfer, you know, energy losses. No system in 3D is ever perfect except for superconductivity, which, of course, is a projection of a higher dimensional reality. Right. And, and, and also the golden ratio is, is just like pi is ever expanding. There is no finite pi over nope, nope. pi. So with the, with the tolerance of the... Do you remember where, where at the end of Contact, what Sagan wrote in, in the novel and then uh, what's what? his name put in the movie about, about pi? Exactly. So what's amazing about the book, which is way better than the movie, is there, there's more. It's not just one woman who goes. They stop in, in Vega, and then they go to the center of the Milky Way galaxy, right? They go to the, the vortex, to the black hole, and they go to the center where they're in paradise, and they're all nude. And it's, and the, the, the God or the creator is telling them it's the whole secret to the universe is pi, right? Mm-hmm. That's in the book. I mean, I, the book is so much better than the movie. It's this really is, this is Sagan's novel on which yeah, the movie Yeah, Sagan's came. novel compared to the movie with Jodie Foster. So when you understand that pi and phi, actually pi and phi correspond to pyramid, great pyramid angle as well, but that's, a, that's an abstraction. So what, what I do next is I take crystals. Now, you have to understand this, people. 591 divided by the perfect golden ratio give us, gives us the perfect number of Venusian days, accurate to 99.99%. <laughs> Not 100, but what's amazing about it is if, if you are going to discover the, the ratio of the goddess harmonies instrument described in Jamie James' book, Music of the Spheres, at creating a type of music that is that outdid all of the Pythagorean um, music scale, which led to the modern music scale today. And she's saying it, it's based on the proportion or ratio of the planets. Venus to Earth is is it, the 591 divided by the golden ratio is Venus. And if I take the 591 divided by the perfect Sidero year, which is my item eight, if you go to my item eight on Richard's site, we're going to jump all the way to eight for a minute. You'll see what it looks like. You take 591 divided by exact Sidero year of 365.2563-63004 equals the golden ratio accurate to 99.999%, which is a fine golden wow. ratio, right? They, that That's the number my wife gave me. What, what could... <laughs> Okay, let me because there's people out there saying, okay, all right, guys. Um, big question: yeah, Did big the question. girls hear the same thing on the night of the 23rd? Oh no, 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 no. My my, I can tell you that my little Astaria, who was almost six when Crystal died, Astaria's birthday is September 11, 911. She's a 911 baby, oh, so she she bolted out of bed one night. Um, sometime after her mom died, I, I she sleeps right next to me in a giant king size bed, and I I'm looking at her. She's looking at her mom. I can't see Crystal. Wait a minute. She's she what? She's what? She's looking at her mom in a vision. Her How do you know? Open. How do you know? Because she told. She oh. told me. And her mom has a halo. 
beautiful white dress shining with light and the halo goes all the way to the feet to the head right whereas which is called the um areola which is a which is a greater expanded halo yeah the there are, there are renaissance painters that have painted this phenomenon around uh mary right so all the way to the feet which is which is a sign of a very advanced enlightened master actually so that's what my little six-year-old or a high frequency field or a high frequency (laughs) field around her so so again this is exciting to me because one of the questions it's extraordinary david it's more than exciting so have you have, have you had kind of long discussions with the girls about where mom is and what she's doing and how well, they can talk about it every day, Richard, like um, my daughters have so much spiritual awareness and they both, my oldest now, Alira is 12, will be 13 this year. Astaria will be eight in September. I'll be 62 in August. So they talk of, they both had incredible experiences after the and we're mom. at the bottom of the hour. Up the air. Yep. Thank you. Up the air. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hey, you know, David can get too fascinating, and I can get lost in very interesting stuff. So let's take a pause here. We are at the edge of uh, wherever. Uh, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. everyone on this Sunday, this Easter Sunday evening. My guest this morning is David Sarita, who is telling us, I mean, I hope you understand how astonishing and how correlative and how scientific and how unbelievably precise this type of communication is. So, David, what I want to ask you now, obviously, is to expand on the idea that the girls have become used to the idea that their mom is somewhere behind the glass and can now only communicate in certain ways, but her very communication could help all of humanity rise to something better than we are tonight. David, back to you. I'm glad you brought up my daughters because... Elias, when you go, if you click on item two, is that two? Dante's map of the heavens. My little Astarius says her mommy's on the sun. And in Dante's experiential model, remember, this is an experiential model. This isn't something he dreamed up and decided to write some poems. He, he actually passionately experienced the nine levels of hell, the nine levels of purgatory, and then nine levels of heaven. And here's what's interesting. Let me just give you a quick tour. So when 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 a person's ready to go to the first heaven, it's earth to the moon and second to Mercury. Now, Mercury is the messenger. I've actually calculated the frequencies and the octaves of all the planets. And believe it or not, Mercury is 
19.5 hertz, which is the base of human hearing. <laughs> and you've heard Richard say 19.5. I was going to say 19. Point what? 19.55 hertz is mercury. Holy and, yeah, cow. So you take the speed of light divided by the weight. And so what's interesting about mercury is it's, it's attributed to both Hermes, the, the, the Roman god Mercury and the Archangel Gabriel as messenger and we start hearing at that frequency, 20 hertz. That that's you can hear 19.5 hertz, I guarantee you, when it's quiet. And what interests me about Mercury is when I did thousands of calculations to get all the frequencies of all the planets all the way up to Neptune and when I looked at all the octaves, this shocked me, Richard, because let's go back to the staff of Moses. And the actual frequency of a two-and-a-half cubit staff, the speed of light in, to perfection accuracy divided by a wavelength of 10 cubits because it's a ratio of 1 to 4. That's amazing how that is, you know, because Einstein's equals mc squared. The speed of light squared like, why would it be the speed of light squared? Like, it's, it's a square law, right? And the wavelength coming off a monopole antenna is four times its height, which forms a two-dimensional square. So when, when I did the frequencies of the staff of Moses, it matched an octave of Mercury, and it didn't match any of the other planets. So, hmm. of course, the messenger, right? So if you're using your staff to communicate to receive messages. And I also wondered this. When I hear my wife's voice, it's so quiet in the house. Of course, the music was on when we were in Banff. But is she breaking the silence at the 20 hertz you know, point of the human ear? Because I mentioned it's acoustic. So in Dante's system, Mercury is second, Venus is third, and and this... Well, wait, wait, wait. Have you, have you decided to set up or have you tried to set up a simple experiment where you have an audio recorder so you could record the sound waves if somehow she's creating the modulation in the atmosphere in the room? Oh, that would be a very good idea, Richard. You, you know what I noticed? If you keep a bowl of water next to the bed... Right. They will. It, it, you will be able to hear them better. It, it, but if you have frequency added to that, it there's something about the water will modulate. It, it's there. There. It, well, water is a hyperdimensional torsion field medium. That's why it's the basis of life. You know. Because well, I noticed this in some of my experiences with her. There is a glass of water next to the bed because I drink water and I keep it by the bed, ah. and I and it's right, it's close to my ear, right? So the frequency wow. of Venus is. I used to do that. I'm going to have to do that again. Gosh. Right. See, so, I, unlike uh, sorry to interrupt, but unlike your experience, my interaction with Robin has been very, very different and very complicated, involving lots of material objects appeared, materialized, been moved, whatever, to complete whole, whole thoughts, whole symbolic you know, communications. There's been geometry, but there's been no verbal audio communication except one time, which was on the winter solstice, actually the day past the winter solstice, December 22nd of 20, 
19, which is the year that Robin died. And that night, not only were there acoustic uh, phenomenon, there were material, you know, weirdness happening with like someone was sitting on the bed on her side of the bed twice because the first time I ignored it. You know, I thought I was just having one of those, you know, weird Robin dreams. And then whoever was behind it, they kind of said, no, 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 this is repetition. We need to repeat this. Pay attention. So they did it all again and involved the bed weighing down and then this message intoning, not Robin at all, but a very almost mechanical kind of communication that basically just said, you're loved. But it was not her. It was not her voice her persona, whatever. It was something very different. And frankly, you know what it made me think of, David? Did you ever encounter John Lear's model of the moon? No, no. I, I did an interview with John Lear, but what I'm going to tell you is going to blow well, let me, let me let me finish the thought. Okay. Because I need to get hold of John's best friend who is still alive. John died uh, last year. Oh, I, John, know his, I know his daughter. You can, I can get you in touch with Allison. Oh, I need to talk to his daughter because John had a model based on something, and I don't know where it came from. We never had a chance to really talk about it, and then he became where he was not – you basically couldn't talk to him, and then he died. Um, his model was the moon was resident to something called – which he called a soul catcher a device to basically capture souls who are leaving the body when they die on earth. And now I'm wondering whether John got it slightly wrong. It's not so much as a catcher, as a conductor, as a portal, as a passageway, as a throughput, as a transfer point for going from 3D to some other dimension, but going by way of the moon. And whoever is guarding the store, whoever is minding the store, sounded kind of like an AI trying to modulate the activity in terms of the transfer point. And at that critical geometric hyperdimensional solstice alignment of the winter solstice of twenty of 2019, that's what happened that night twice because I was too damn dumb to really pay attention to it the first time. But that's the only time there has ever been a voice. And it, it was not acoustic. It seemed to be in my mind, not something I could, you know, um, record on a tape recorder. You know, you just said something remarkable. Firstly, you said it was December 22nd. Now, yep. the first thing that's going to boil, this is in my, my new research on 432 in Bible code. So when Jesus describes in three days, he will rise again. Three days is how many minutes? It's, it's 72 hours times 60 seconds a minute is 4320 minutes. It's 432. Right. And then in winter solstice, the sun stops for three days. And 
if you look at my item seven, when I went through, this happened to me in 1986, my item seven, and people who are interested on my near-death journey through the seven levels of heaven in 1986, it happened on December 22nd, 1986, oh. Oh. And, and December 23rd. So I never knew what that date meant way back in 1986, but it's the same date. And why does it happen there? in that rest of the of the earth well i think it's because the alignment of the earth sun and the you know 10 billion solar mass black hole at the center of the galaxy because these are all spinning massive systems the physics in terms of communication and energy information transfer is about angular momentum and the biggest marker in our neighborhood is the black hole at the center of the milky way so i was expecting something I just was kind of anticipating that something might happen. I didn't know what, but this was absolutely unmistakable. And it repeated itself twice because I was dumb enough to ignore it the first time and just kind of turn over and say, oh, it's another dream about Robin. Well, not only is that those three days in the winter solstice, it's said that the sun stops moving for three days. When you say stops, you mean optically because of the Earth orbit and the distance and all that, right. if you're marking the sun rising along the horizon like a Stonehenge, for three days it will appear to rise and set in roughly the same place. Yeah, exactly. So, so again, remember the sun has a radius of 864,000 miles diameter divided by two is 432. We're in a designer solar system. Right, this is what I mean. And then Jesus to three days, which we're celebrating right now. And, and, yep. And, and like you said, my God. And it's God, the ninth, I, and it's before my, your bedtime. So I would get a recorder for tonight. It's the ninth. I can't even believe it's the ninth, which is, again, last year when my wife appeared, which is the exact number of days of, of uh, number of days Venus experiences a day. Because the Venus has a very long day because it's turning it, – it sunrise to sunset is 243 days. <laughs> See, day. no, none of the mainstream astronomers understand why uh, Venus rotates backwards as right. opposed to Earth. Now, But doesn't that tell us something because – Well, yeah, because when you, when you spin the physics backwards, you make a much, much more efficient transducer or generator or amplifier or whatever – Again, if the way the mainstream guys look at this is, well, Venus suffered a collision and it knocked it so it's rotating backwards. Uranus suffered a collision so it's tilted about 90 degrees to its orbit. They're looking at everything through a Newtonian lens, and you know the old cliche about a carpenter, right? To him, everything looks like a nail. So um, if Venus, in fact, is a designed portal, and how would you design a portal on the scale of the solar system? You've got mass and spin rate to work with. Oh, an orbit plane. So the plane of the orbit, the circularity of the orbit of Venus is almost perfect, perfect, perfect in, in, in terms of its inclination and its ellipticity. And then it rotates physically backwards. But the core, remember the new data that the Earth's core is rotating differently than the Earth's surface. Right, right. That just happened. And then recently, it stopped doing that, and it now seems to be in sync, which, of course, they can't explain. They are me, but they can't really – they don't really get it. Well, the Venus core 
appears to be rotating forward as opposed to the rest of Venus rotating backward. And And it rotates forward in four days. Four days. So throw that number into your calculations because none of this, I believe, is accidental. It's part of transporting hyperdimensional souls or consciousness or being from this 3D, wherever we're in, museum, uh, circus, you know, uh, whatever, to the higher levels. And Venus is really important in your communication with Crystal. And the Which, by the way, her very name, Crystal, her very name, Crystal, is about resonant materials on Earth that resonate with these frequencies. Well, Crystal was a phenomenal singer and jazz singer, and she did this song with uh, Doug Martinez, who's the lead singer of the band 311, in a recording studio in L.A. with me called Heading Into Heaven. It's a beautiful song. I'll have to try and get it for you. Maybe you can play it during one of the breaks. Be great, but, yeah. Get them but we're really on to something about Venus. I, I want to point Go ahead. out Go ahead. that the 591 days divided by the golden ratio gives us the exact sidereal Earth year to 10 decimals. Divided again by the golden ratio gives us the number of Venus days. If I didn't start with the number 591 to give me the proportions of all the planets in, in the solar system, because then I take the number 591 times the golden ratio, and I'm going to get the number of days of, of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. Some of them are accurate to 98% to the golden ratio, 97%, and 93%. And the only one that doesn't fit in the model is Mars. Mars. Because Mars and suffered Mars in is- the war. Yeah, Mars, Mars was the brunt of the ancient solar system war. So, see, Van Flandern, remember Van Flandern's reconstruction of the pre-event solar system was that Mars had a twin object orbiting it, a huge moon. And it was a moon of planet four, a big right. super Earth, which then blew up. I think it was blown up. Thus began the cascade to destroy the physics of the solar system, which is our means of transport into and out of 3D reality. Right. So, so that explains, you know, you know, in Sitchin's model, there's a collision with Tiamat. Yep. That, so if the solar system was originally designed at, at a, because my Saturn accuracy with the golden ratio starting with 591 is 98%. 98.6% accurate. That's pretty good. Considering the golden, it's better than pretty good. It's <laughs> phenomenal. Because remember, your golden ratio starts with Fibonacci's numbers, 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, etc. And the ratio of the lower number to the higher number gets closer and closer to 1.61803 and beyond. Right, And it never stops. In fact, I should try this with an even higher degree of, of ratio. Now, when I get to Uranus, um, I'm accurate to 90.4%. Neptune, I'm below 90%. But you have to remember, some of your early golden ratios are sitting below 90%, right? Because they're not all the same 
they're not all 1.6803. In fact, the Ark of the Covenant, which is a 3-5 ratio, because it's 1.5 by 2.5 cubits, is a ratio to 1 to 1.6666. And that's a Fibonacci 3-5 golden ratio. So that's, what, what I mean is there there's a little bit of leeway here. You can safely say if most of your planets on average are above 95% accurate to this formula, you're pretty much perfect within the phi golden ratio. Well, entropy, entropy. Design your source. Okay, let us go back to the girls. What is the girl's idea of where mom is and what she's doing? Well, Astaria believes and experiences her mom has been on the sun, which is Dante's fourth um, level of heaven, right? Okay. And Alira, when she was younger, used to have these incredible mystical experiences. And she had one right after her mom died. We were watching Ghost, you know, the movie with um, um, Demi Moore and um, um, Patrick Swayze. Right. Who Patrick Swayze actually dies very very young and I know there there's this scene was was where, was was Whoopi Goldberg in that too? She is she's she's really funny in that. Isn't she the psychiatrist or something? She's a psychic. Yeah, oh the psychic. Okay. And she's full of baloney, but she actually <laughs> suddenly starts hearing you know the real spirit of Patrick Swayze's character. But there's a scene in the movie, you know, when the evil monsters come to take away right. the bad spirit. Well, my daughter's got terrified, and Alara covered her eyes, and she saw these vortex swirls of white that swooped her out of her body, and she went into this psychedelic field of colors, and she said she's never felt anything that blissful in her entire life. So it's like her mom took her out of a scary it's a scary situation. Yeah, put her hands over her eyes. Yeah, but she had this. It wasn't just putting her hands over her eyes. She was whisked out of this oh, dimension my, 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 momentarily. And Alara is, you know, when, when kids see, my dad tells me as a psychologist, a Berkeley PhD, that when it, when a child is zero to four, their unconscious is wide open. They're subconscious. When after four, it slowly starts to close up, and then. By the time a child reaches nine or ten, they start integrating into the real world. My youngest daughter, you know, will be eight this year on September 11th, and she's still having these experiences. But she's at the age now where the unconscious, the psychic part of us, the psyche, starts to seal up and they start bonding with the, what we call the real world because the, what the real world is whatever we teach them right it's it's there is no real world but there is the world that you'll live in and you'll get a job and you'll somehow have to fit in somewhere so the, the experiences at you know that my daughter Alara had were constant I documented them for years and then they stopped right about at the age my dad said they would stop hmm. and they did so but Alira actually had a dream, and I never told her about it, but it's called the Life Review. She sees her mom levitating in meditation pose, and she's floating on this levitating meditation platform, and there's all these people underneath her, and she's about to see a movie of her life on a screen. And I said, Alira, that's the Life Review. 
and and Crystal didn't want Aware to see some of these scenes about her her early childhood. And she said, "You can't see these. You have to go now." And that was one dream that Aware had that is that corresponds to what a lot of near death researchers call the life review. So hmm. I thought that that was pretty pretty fascinating. So where do we want to go next? So Georgia, by the way. I want to go to my item five, which is really incredible. If you go to item four, there's a picture of Crystal on her wedding day. And item five, this is remarkable because if you click on item five, it's a photo from, we had a visitor who's one of my very best friends. His name is Stephen Sipes. He owns a winery in Kelowna, BC that ages wine in a giant pyramid modeled after the Great Pyramid of Egypt to precision. And this is a huge pyramid. It's not a little pyramid. It's 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 probably a three to five million dollar pyramid. Wow. And and and, and big question. Okay, does, big question. Does the wine does the wine coming out of it taste different? It's my favorite wine in the world. In fact I can't drink anything else. It's organic, biodynamic. It's called Summer Hill Wines. And so Stephen when Crystal died, he was so close to our family. He came with his wife and his, his daughter, and they stayed with us right away when Crystal died at our house. And then this past, um, um, during spring break, at the end of spring break, Stephen came with his family for three days, and he stayed in a hotel room. And we had dinner with him. That's what this picture is you're seeing here. And we, we after dinner, he says, come to my room and have a drink. And so we go to his room. And we go on the balcony, and there's Venus, which you'll see in the picture, the big bright ball at the bottom. Right. And it, it's hovering right above the cliff where Crystal died. Oh. It, in fact, where Crystal died is right there in the shadow. Oh, and above God. Venus is the Pleiades. And it turns out yeah, I can on see this, it. Is, is that on, a comet? I know. I wonder. That's got to be a comet. Well, I didn't know. That's gotta be, when was this taken? This was just taken. It was taken um, the the last day of spring break, last Sunday. It was taken last Sunday. Oh, well, there is a comet, you know, coming around the sun. It looks like you got it. Well, what's amazing is that the timing of all this and everything we just talked about, Venus, and Crystal giving us the Venus portal – and that Jesus in the book of Revelation calls himself the bright and morning star. And the question is, does the final phase of the revelation take, is the platform of God and the angels on Venus because it's right next to Earth? That's one question I have for Crystal. Is she telling us that something is about to happen? And now that the Pleiades are in perfect alignment. So this is Stephen Sykes' room. You see the light at the at the dock at the marina on our lake in Nelson, B.C., and right above that is Venus, and right above that is Pleiades, because Pleiades meant a huge deal to my wife and I throughout oh, our – Oh, seven age. sisters. Okay. So, so I, I just thought this was – like Stephen and I were like, what are the odds that Venus would be there at this time, and it's right where she died? So that's kind of a – a closing to all the synchronicities in, in, in this. But to me, in the end, like I've always wanted to know this. I used to attend meetings at the uh, International Association at Near Death Studies in Los Angeles, headed by Darlene Jamin. I would go to all the meetings. 
share my experience of what it was like to go through the seven levels of heaven, which I have a recording in my item seven tonight for people who want to listen to what that experience was like. I always wanted to know, are we still in the same universe or when we close our eyes and die, this whole universe doesn't exist. So what's the point of all the planets and the stars if we're not here? Well, here's what's interesting about Pleiades, because in Dante's model, after the eighth heaven, no, sorry, after the seventh heaven, which is Saturn, we go to the, the constellations. It's called the fixed stars. When, when a human being is at that level in their spirit, you're ready to jump to the stars. You're, you're ready to take that leap out of the solar system, is what Dante is saying. And his ninth level of heaven is called the Imperium, which is a giant rose-shaped cathedral stadium where the highest saints sit in, in prayer and in that place, the, the St. Bernard of Clairvaux takes Dante by the hand and he says, it's your chance to try to gaze at Christ yourself. And Dante comes and he looks at Christ and Christ just transforms into an infinite sphere of light and shows Dante there are nine more heavens above the highest heaven that any human or angel or God has ever attained or God has Hmm. Hey, David, we're, no, at the bo- we're at the no, bottom of the hour. Okay. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is David Sarita, who is regaling us with an extraordinary, extraordinary tale. Georgia Lambert is waiting in the wings. She will be joining us on the other side. You are on the other side of midnight on this Easter Sunday night. How's this for an Easter Sunday, boys and girls? You didn't expect this one, did you? My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night. No, actually, Sunday night. Sunday, Sunday. Come on, Alvin. Sunday, Sunday. Easter Sunday. Now, my guest tonight, of course, is David Sarita. Georgia Lambert, who was our resident metaphysician, worked with uh, Manly Hall and at the Philosophical Research Society there in Los Angeles for many, many decades and has a great deal to join together with tonight's conversation. David, welcome back. And Georgia, welcome to the other side of midnight for only your second night in the same week. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? We've we, got to stop meeting. we got to like stop this. meeting like this. <laughs> so, uh, all right. All right. Well, David, before we Hi, resume, Georgia. before we resume, uh, but Georgia, you've had a chance to hear some of what we've been talking about. Are you as, as astonished as I am? Not as much as you would oh, think. Oh, darn, 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 darn. This is, <laughs> this is, uh, this is, um, predictable in in many ways uh just in the short time i've i've been listening just a, a couple of points before we get into you know some really heavy stuff is you were talking about your children uh and their psychic uh uh you know premonitions and and experiences um adults 
uh, adults have a, a kind of waking brainwave of beta. And we only slip into alpha when we're slipping off to sleep or doing uh, beginning sorts of meditation or when we're really relaxed, we get into that alpha state that's very psychic and creative. Children below the age seven, and it varies with, with children in, in terms of their age, but below the age of seven, their waking brainwave is alpha. And they don't switch to beta, the adult brainwave, until uh, after seven. Sometimes it's, it's earlier, but so kids are... Interesting. I didn't, so, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. So, so kids are, are naturally psychic. I mean, every child knows you sleep with the closet door closed, right? And if you have to get up, if you have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you tiptoe because the less flesh on the floor, the safer you are. Particularly and, when you're just getting out of bed. Absolutely. And when you come back to bed, you don't stand next to the bed because something might be under it. So uh, you leap, you leap the last mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit, right? All kids know these things, and we grow out of them because kids can really see stuff. Just like so they don't have beta waves yet. You're saying they don't go into beta. They so you have delta, alpha, you have delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. So those right. are the. It's three. almost like a suppressive frequency descends on us, and we lose that hyperdimensional connection. Well, did you know that, actually, Georgia, actually, did you know that theta is where rapid eye movement occurs in the brain? It's the same as Tesla's resonant frequency of Earth. And incidentally, Richard, in Tesla's patent number 787412, he demonstrates a radio wave going 1.618 times the speed of light, <laughs> accurate to 98%. And that opens up another new interpretation of the data in that it could be a time dilation uh, dimensional leap. Because if Tesla physically... Wait, wait, wait. wait. You, mean, you mean what Crystal's saying could be about time? Well, remember, 591 divided by the golden ratio gave us the exact number of sidereal days on Earth. Right. You know, so, but, but if you change the speed of light to the Well, same we know the speed of light varies. Yeah, but you know, now Tesla demonstrated radio 1.618 times the speed of light. Right. And he, it's a patent filed on May 16th, 1900. Right? Yeah, but I bet if he did it today, it'd be different. Because it depends it on the be. state of the background physics, and we know from early NASA experiments that they have feverishly been trying to cover up that when they did their first radar bounces off, wait for it, Venus, to basically get a scale for the solar system, they assigned a given speed of light, which was the canonical accepted value, as a constant and when they applied their equations to their radio radar transmissions, it gave the wrong distance to Venus as judged geometrically and paralytically by means of optical triangulation using asteroids and whatever to generate the scale of the same solar system. So they, right. they inverted their experiment, and there's a long record of very interesting radar experiments bouncing radio waves uh, at MIT by a guy named George Pettengill, 
who I had as a guest at the museum in Springfield back in, what, 1967, that if you look at them the right way, they show us a rising and decreasing speed of light based on the years. So the idea that, that Einstein is right, relativity is right, the speed of light does not vary, it's all wrong. It's all junk science. Oh, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's, but, a, but it's it, a con, and obviously, if Crystal is trying to refer to temporal aspects of this phenomenon, I've been trying to figure out what the time lag is between where Robin is and now, because I don't think it's simultaneous. I don't think the continuums are linked up. I think whatever she's doing, she has to plan like ahead or drop it into the 3D oh, realm. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Say right now, the way we measure the speed of light, this we see the sun eight minutes and 21 seconds ago, and that varies. Yeah. Crystal was born eight pounds and 21 ounces, and I was born in 821. We see Venus three minutes and 45 seconds ago. We see the moon 0.65 seconds, and we see a foot in front of our face one billionth of a second ago. So what I'm saying is everything is in time. We don't see anything right now, right? I like what George is saying, though. Georgia, yes. I, I like what you're saying about the children and the different brainwave states. But what's interesting about the different brainwave states is they also correspond to the frequencies of the planets. Exactly. And I'd, I'd like to drop a couple other things into the stew here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Do you know that he was the one that actually founded the Knights Templars? Right, I do. I know. I know that. Yeah, the, they they owed their allegiance to him way before they were recognized by the Pope, and in his sermons, he Claire, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, studied the Kabbalah with rabbis at a time when Jews were being persecuted by the church. And many of his sermons had to do with the Psalms. Right. Well, the the original church of Jesus' brother, James, they used an earlier version of the Gospel of Matthew. And what's interesting, it's called the, the... the Gospel of the Hebrews, but it's actually Matthew's original Gospel. There's three iconoclastic realizations that were changed. One, Jesus' mother led him and his brothers to get baptized by John. They eliminated it because they didn't want to show a woman initiating Jesus' baptism. And two, Mm. he refers to the Holy Spirit as his mother, as the feminine. It right. got removed. <clears throat> and three and, and, is the most shocking of all, in, and this is in the original Matthew practiced by the first church in Jerusalem by Jesus' brother James. Here's what's interesting, though. See, in this is in, in the original Matthew. It says that Jesus, the mother, the divine spirit, Shekinah, that used to live in the Holy of Holies, which was 10 by 10 cubits, Richard, which is the wavelength of the staff, Hmm. um, the the spirit, his mother, picked him up and put him on top of the mountain. In that same verse, in the later Matthew, it's Satan who picks him up and puts him on top of the temple of the mountain and tempts him. I believe they got rid of the feminine spirit and and 
and superimposed Satan mythically so that nobody would ever worship a woman as as God, right? Because if Jesus is saying that, that the Spirit of God is feminine, oh my God, that, that would destroy the world. <laughs> well, in, in uh, certain initiation systems, uh, the initiation of the crucifixion is, is the fourth initiation just before the fifth, which is considered adeptship or mastery. And the fourth initiation, if we look at the life of Jesus as the model or the template for it, that crucifixion on the cross, everybody remembers the part where he says, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? People don't remember. He also looked down to those that had gathered at the foot of the cross and said, who is my mother? Where is my mother? And the Oh, I- that's interesting. That corresponds to what I'm the, saying in the original uh, Matthew. Yeah, hold on for a sec. The, 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 the symbology behind that is in that particular initiation, uh, the soul... Uh, div, uh, disconnects itself temporarily from both spirit and matter. The, the mother aspect being the, the Shekinah or the Holy Ghost aspect. And it's thrown back on itself to know itself to its height, breadth, and depth before moving into mastery. So there's that temporarily di- disconnect from the positive pole and the negative pole to know itself as itself before it moves onward. Well, you know what's interesting about the Knights Templar, too? Have you noticed this? So it was October 13th, I forget what year, when the 1307. Pope... 1307. 1307. No, October 13th is the miracle of the sun at Fatima, of course, in 1917. Oh, now that's interesting. Right? <clears throat> the same yeah. date. The same date. And I find that fascinating. There, When I... I believe what happened in Fatima was a a type of UFO that appeared between the observers and the sun and produced the spectacular light display. But it was it was more of a like Ezekiel's wheels, right? It, it was more of a biblical angelic type of craft. But there's no way something happened with the sun or the whole planet would experience it, you know, universally everywhere, and that no, didn't happen. No, no. But why was it October 13th? I find that fascinating. Do you uh, do you guys remember that Chris Carter, when he did uh, uh, X Files, remember the production company he used? Yeah. The, ten, the name of the Ten Thirteen Productions. Oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> You know, Chris Carter, I met him because my 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 brother Tim married Kathy Gilroy and had a son. Kathy Gilroy oh. produced for Chris Carter the Millennium series with him. And Chris Oh that that met, was that was a series that Art was on as playing I, I think the guy at CBS. What was the guy's name? Right, right. Art Art was in it. Yeah. I remember when they called Art Bell and I said, Kathy, I'm on Art Bell's show all the time. Why don't you put me in the show? But Chris, remember, do you remember the episode of the two planes that are remote controlled and were going to be crashed into the Twin Towers happened a year before the plane? Yeah, that was that was the the uh, the uh, lone gunman episode. It was a lone gunman episode. So how did Chris, I mean? Chris was dialed in. I don't know. Oh, he was he definitely died. dialed in. In fact, it was so weird. Um, he Art had tried forever and ever and ever. 
And Georgia, we'll get back to you in a second. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> he was he tried forever and ever and ever to get Chris Carter to come on the show, right? You know, biggest paranormal supernatural show on radio, biggest paranormal supernatural show on television. He could never get Carter to come and do an interview. Except suddenly one night after Mike Barra and I had been on and decoded one of the episodes of uh, X-Files, the one where uh, she finds the UFO in the sands off uh, Mauritania or something half buried in the ocean, you know, on the, on the shore. Anyway, we came on, we did our, our rap. And in those days, of course, there was no email. So we had to communicate during the show by fax. I would, he would send, I would send a fax and uh, Ramona would rip it off and run into the studio and read it. And then he would send, you know, through radio, he would acknowledge the question or whatever. And he asked me for questions uh, for Carter. <clears throat> and that night uh, I sent him, you know, ask Chris Carter how much of his scripting is from really solid inside context. In other words, we're not looking at fiction. We're looking at slightly abridged fact through the screen of fiction. <clears throat> and initially, Carter denied that he had any sources. By the end of the show, he was acknowledging that X-Files was an expose from inside sources who knew what they were talking about. So that's so it's not like time dilation. It's not like he saw the future. But when he did the episode of The Lone Gunman, it's funny. I, I put Dean Hagelin in one of my films. And Crystal and I used to hang out with Dean Hagelin in L.A., one of The Lone Gunmen. And we'd ask him questions like this. How did Chris know <laughs> about the Twin Towers incident? Because the remote-controlled planes being flown into the towers, and it was before that actually happened. Yep. Like, what, do, what do you think? Did, was it time dilation? Was Chris Carter like dialed into something psychically, or do you think he – I think was, he had a – look, it's all part of a plot. Mm -hmm. It's not about Arabs or ISIS or, you know, Al-Qaeda. It's all a plot. So, of course, he was leaked, the plot line, by a distaff side of the, of the group inside, the so-called deep state CIA, whatever, and they wanted to get it out so someone would do something to divert it, and it didn't happen. But, mm -hmm. you know, there were a whole bunch of public media around that time period that all carried the same imprint that symbolic archetype of the towers falling there was a, a, a there was a record album there was a cartoon uh, we, uh, it's way back on the enterprise website but it's somewhere we documented all the different ways before 9-11 that the 9-11 realities came out leaked out in the uh, media well you know there's a there's a theory and it's a good theory using a solar time clock that Jesus was born on September 11th. And it's a very good theory done with real astronomy clocking and that somehow that date was overlaid for, for that event to occur. And again, you look at how the darkness, what you call the satanic figure or Luciferian figure, like it, it's in Isaiah 14, 12, that, where it says that Satan is cast down from the height of the morning star, which is Venus, right, with his, with his angels. And yet in Revelation 22, 16, Jesus declares, declares that the bright morning star is his, right? And Venus is known 
And it was Pythagoras who's the one who stated this, um, that Venus is both the morning and the evening star. So what would that mean? Like if, if, if the twin towers incident is superimposed on what might've been Jesus's real birthday, I mean, again, it's a good theory. There's, I've, re- I've seen a lot of theories on different dates for the real birth date of Jesus. But we also look at how was Jesus' brother James Well, the one killed. thing we know is that it was not December 25th. <laughs> yeah, it was not December 25th. In fact, before – this is interesting because the day of the Capitol insurrection of January 6th was Christmas Day before the 4th century. And the 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 um, the Orthodox Church celebrates Christmas on the sixth and the seventh today, but mostly the seventh. But before the fourth century, they celebrated Christmas on the sixth of January, mm-hmm. which, of- which was known as Epiphany. Yep. And and you know it's very interesting that just like when you skip a rock across water. It, it has a particular rhythm to it. There are certain dates that repeat uh, throughout history. Also on September 11th was uh, the turning point where Washington could have lost the war, the Revolutionary War, because that was the Battle of Brandywine where he lost, uh, you know, oh. uh, a, most of his, his army. And he took the wounded to Ephrata, which was uh, – uh, a group of uh, of pilgrims of Rosicrucian uh, persuasion, and the Rosicrucians took care of his wounded after Brandywine. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. You know, Richard, I, I want to point this out because my mother, Linda Trafford, was a California lawyer. Her husband was a state lawyer, and after she died, it took some time. I don't. I didn't do the math yet, but I will. On the morning of the Capitol insurrection, which is the original Christmas Day before the fourth century, mm. I heard this static coming from my staff next to the bed. I wake up, and I'm looking at my mother. She oh looks, my God! She looks 20 years old, head to toe in perfection. She used to dye her long brown hair blonde, but it was brown. It's natural color. She looked. More beautiful than she ever looked on earth from my memory. And she sat with me on the bed. I'm looking at her with my physical eyes. And it's some, and it's like 4 a.m. Pacific time. I don't know what time the insurrection would unfold later that day. I can't remember. Well, it was 12 but, hours later. It was in the afternoon. Yeah, but it's January the 6th, which is not only the original Christmas day, according to, you know, researchers before the 4th century, but – it would be the day of the insurrection. What, I'm making a really clear point here. There's something about sacred days where darkness tries to usurp it and take it and claim yeah, of course. it. And say, well, remember January like, 6th. Like January 6th was picked by the by the founders. I, I think it goes back that far, but it might have been the FDR uh, because they changed a lot of things in the in the FDR administration <clears throat> to open the ballots and to certify the electors from the states, the electoral college on January 6th. And I always wonder, why do they pick January 6th? It's now obvious it's part of this ritual calendrical system, which resonates with the physics. Another another date that's interesting is April 14th, uh, Lincoln's assassination and the sinking of the Titanic. Oh my! Both on the same day? Yeah, 
April 14th. And that's coming up. Oh, wow. That's See, what happened in, in the canonized Matthew where Jesus is tempted by Satan, it says Satan took Jesus and put him on top of the temple, put him on top of the temple, and that's 30 cubits, and using... You know, God in the Ezekiel, God God uses the cubit plus a hand, so that's your royal cubit. He would be fifty something feet in the air. Now, in that scene, Satan's telling Jesus to jump, and he's quoting the Book of Psalms that angels will come and rescue if you jump. That's how James was killed. Jesus' brother James, who headed the church in Jerusalem, who used the original Matthew. When they had thousands of Jewish followers following James and his church representing Christ, they, he's dragged to the top of the temple and thrown off. And he didn't die from the fall, which would have been over 50 feet. He almost died, and then they stoned him to death. What I find interesting about that is, is that is the same myth of the later Matthew of what would happen to Jesus, that he was put on the top of the temple. And Satan told him to jump, right? Do you see what I'm hmm. saying? We, we take, we take, we, we put darkness on top of light. It's the contest. It's the opposition. Remember the reason I don't think Lucifer, Satan was called by those names until later, because I re- seem to remember in the Old Testament, he's termed the adversary, I read a book by Elaine Pagels, who's a professor of religion at Princeton. Yeah, I know who she is, yeah. Yeah, The Origin of Satan, and it's a masterpiece. It's really a masterpiece. In political conditioning. Yeah, and in her book, exactly like you're saying, she's looking for where Satan appears. And in the end, she her 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 thesis is Satan is always the other guy. It's like pointing the finger. No, you're the devil. No, you're the devil. No, you're the devil. No, you're the devil. And it's it's kind of always the opposition is is where the mythic See what I find weird is the whole Lucifer Venus association, the light bringer. And, of course, Lucifer is supposed to be Satan, the devil, the fallen angel, the head of the legion against God. In other words, how did that all link through Venus? I know. And, and again uh, – go ahead. Uh, I, I raised my hand on that one. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Um, I'd like to hear what Georgia says about this. This is, this is interesting. We'll probably have to pick this up after the break, but in esoteric tradition – uh, in humanity's infancy and in esoteric tradition, humanity has gone through several what they call root races or uh, waves of evolution. In humanity's infancy, before humanity uh, tread the spiritual path of awakening, the spiritual hierarchy of this planet was borrowed from Venus. Oh, and- Do you know the story, uh, the story of the stranger at the Pentagon, Richard? Dr. Frank Strange's. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a Christian. Dr. Frank Strange's is a Christian minister, and he swears that this guy, Valiant Thor, which is interesting because Thor is a Nordic god, yep. lands a saucer in Virginia and has meetings at the Pentagon for three years, and he claims he's from Venus. And there's pictures of the guy and his woman and his entourage, and they. I just read it again. I just bought it and just finished reading it again. 
And I was, I was, it was remarkable to me that he didn't notice what we're talking about in the book that Lucifer in Isaiah 14, 12 and his, you know, and all his other entourage are thrown down from the bright morning star to earth. I, I just, but again, there's another, there's another thing here too, when people confuse Lucifer and, and, and what the church built around Satan, uh, the idea of the devil with the cloven hooves, that is uh, an overlay of the pagan god Pan. Pan, right. right. Um, and so Lucifer was, you know, the top angel and beautiful and glorious. And so the, the uh, degradation into what we think of as the devil in Orthodox Christianity is uh, a, a, different, a different entity. Satan and Lucifer are considered different in esoteric traditions. Right. I think Elaine Pagels covers that in her book. So there are multiple such dark ones who come down. I still want to know the Venus connection because, again, if Crystal is telling us something profound, which I'm beginning mm -hmm. to suspect she is, it has to do with Venus as a gateway, as a portal. I know, and that's, that's, that's my question to her, what? Richard, right guys, now. Guys, is, guys, 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 you can't talk over each other. Come on. Okay. Georgia? My question to her. Okay, Georgia. Okay, and we basically are out of time. So hold it, Georgia. Okay, we will pick this up here. exactly when we come back. My guests this morning are Georgia Lambert and David Sarita. And I'll bet you never expected this on Easter Sunday night. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Welcome back, everyone, on this now Sunday night, Monday morning, here in the Land of Enchantment, Easter Sunday night, and what a heck of a show. Okay, Georgia, you're on. Yeah, um, you're talking about, gosh, there's just so many ways to go. We have time. We have time. <laughs> um, you're talking about uh, connection between the other side. I'm doing air quotes. And, mm -hmm. and here, um, in Kabbalistic tradition, the planets are assigned different sephira. What's a sephira? Okay, I'm tr I'll explain that. In Kabbalistic tradition, there's a glyph called the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And it looks like something that's put together with tinker toys. Remember, you had little circles of wood and then the sticks that connected them. So in making this tree of life, the circle... Yeah, it's a whole bunch of circles connected by stick figures. Exactly. That's what, that's what I'm saying. The, the circles are the sephira, which are spheres of consciousness. The sticks are pathways that connect them. They're the paths between the spheres of consciousness. In the Kabbalistic system, the lowest one, Malkuth, is where we live. It's called Earth. Hmm. The next one up is called Yesod. It is the sphere of the moon. 
this is the sphere that's closest to the Earth when abstractions are coming down the alignment and are going to take on physicality. The sphere of the moon, or Yesod, is the last one where final tweaks are put on it before it's moved into 3D physicality. So the sphere of the moon, or Yesod, is the closest one. The next one up is called Had, the solar plexus, and its color is golden, and it's associated with Venus. That's consistent with Dante's model, Earth, exactly. Moon, Venus. Exactly. Interesting. The next one up is the heart. Well, wait, wait. Wouldn't, wouldn't Dante, as a religious, really, really religious Catholic, because he starved himself to death a lot of times, wouldn't he have adopted this ancient Hebraic tradition, which is part of ancient Catholic tradition? He could have if, if he stayed clear of the Inquisition. Hmm. Well, yeah. remember, Dante is banished from Florence. He sees... Some of the popes and bishops in hell in the inferno for their, you know, their sins. And, you know, we know what the church does. So he got in a lot of trouble and he was willing to take the beatings. He, he was vanished from Florence. Hmm. The, the next thing that we could add as a layer to this is that, uh, and I could go up to all seven levels. But it's oh, yeah. go, really go to all seven levels. I want to hear in the Kabbalah what, what okay. you're saying. The, the, uh, the middle one is Tipares, the heart center. Uh, it's associated with the sun. Uh, esoterically, our physical sun is the heart chakra of our solar system. Oh, that's Venus too, because his fourth is the sun. The next one up is the throat center, uh, which is Mercury. Uh, having to do with oh, communi com communication and, of course, the messenger between gods and men. Geberah is the Ashina center. That's the chakra in front of the forehead, uh, which has to do with uh, Mars. Uh, it has to do with the divine warrior, the warrior for um, the higher power. In the tarot, this would be the charioteer. And the final one, Hasid, the crown, is considered Jupiter, and uh, its color is violet. Well, the only one out of order to Dante would be Mercury. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing is with, with, the, with the, the spheres relating to the chakras, it changes depending on where the person is on the path. But the point that I, that I wanted to make in laying that out is that if you're talking about sending and receiving – the sender and the receiver have to be on the same wavelength. They not only have to deal with the bandwidth between, but they have to be on the same wavelength. For instance, in psychic research where they've done studies on various types of telepathy, they found that, for instance, an emotionally focused person has to be paired with an emotionally focused receiver. For instance, if you're going to send the idea of the color red. A person focused in the emotions is going to think warm, try to feel the color, see what it looks like mentally. The receiver has to be on that same wavelength. A person that is more uh, focused in the concrete mind trying to send the color red would be focused on how the letters R-E-D would look on a page. So you have to okay. you have to match the sender and receiver 
uh, whatever wavelength fits both of them and gets across the the bandwidth of the bridge. Hmm. Oh, I agree with you there. Like, see, this is another interesting point is that just because, let's say, a person lives on Earth and they reach a very high vibration, that like an enlightened master on Earth could be a seventh level heaven master, but that doesn't mean they're sequestered to live on the seventh sphere only. They're, right. You you can live on a lower sphere and represent a higher consciousness, is what I'm saying. So it, the sphere that a person is on doesn't necessarily determine the expanse of their ability exactly and and the other thing is uh the items that i have in my uh, uh pictures for the show uh show the pythagorean method uh and you can compare it to the dante method uh it's a little different but it's close enough and of course the pythagorean method uh talks about the diapason which is the perfect accord of all the ratios making perfect music it's kind of like properly tuning a, a set of wind chimes if you properly tune wind, wind chimes no matter which one is hit in what combination or order it's beautiful music it's not discordant how do you tune a wind chime oh there are people that do this not the cheap little wind chimes. Oh, I mean the, the ones really you just ones? buy. Are they already pre-tuned, or can you change them? I'm sure you could change them if you wanted to. Well, you'd have to uh, add something to change the mass or lower the frequency, and right, you know, so or right or raise it. Saw, saw some of them off, make them yeah. shorter. Well, that's what I was pointing out. Um, um, Georgia, do you know the book um, Music of the Spheres by Jamie James? Uh, uh, long time ago, <laughs> I've got quite a, few, quite a few books on the music of the spheres. But the idea is that the solar system itself is this coherent uh, dance of sounds that no matter what astrological alignments produce beautiful music. Well, and, see, this and, is one one metonymic step away from the idea <clears throat> that HD physics is all about frequency. Yeah. If the solar system was designed to create a specific pattern of frequencies to achieve an objective, the war did something to try to destroy it or alter it, so maybe it's no longer working the way it was supposed to. Richard, you're so brilliant. I really think that explains why the mass is just a tad out. Yeah. And really out on Mars compared to all the others in Mars, the planet of war. So, and we know from the big gash on the side of Mars, whenever that happened, like, you know, and when I, I was just looking up just now in the break, like when was the time period of Isaiah to have the vision of Lucifer or Satan being cast down to the earth from the bright morning star, which would be Venus. And he was eighth century, so 800 years before or so before the time of Christ. So then why is it that Luke in 1018 describes seeing Satan fall like lightning from heaven? I mean, is, it, is there a continuous down casting 
of of there isn't one dark person, but there's multiple. Uh, is the war still going on? Probably. I think the war is still going on. Yeah. And I think we're in the middle of it right now. Look at so the, the look, 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 last night's program was basically about good and evil. We're in the middle of a good and evil war. And I have a feeling it's modulated by the processional HD cycle, modulated by the year, modulated by the solar system constructs and their spinning and whatever and whatever. And I I mean the question I got basically that I, I don't have an answer to yet, if if Crystal is self identifying through the Venus doorway, what is her daughter thinking about her living with the sun. That's what I don't get yet. Well, that's Dante's and also Paul just showed us in the Kabbalah model. The sun, is it the fourth in Kabbalah? It's the fourth because Dante's. Yeah. Yeah, yes. So. The, the heart is, is the, the fourth one related to the sun. And um, as I said, you know, in esoteric tradition, our physical sun has three different, uh, layers to it. The physical sun, which includes uh, what esotericists call fourth etheric, which is um, one step up from physical dense. It, it has to do with vitality. The Hindus call it prana that we get from the sun. Um, that's one level of the sun, the, the physicality of it. The second level is its consciousness aspect or soul. And that's called the heart of the sun. And then finally, there is the central spiritual sun, which is the jewel in the heart of the lotus, the point of spirit in that particular chakra. See, it's important, Richard, in Dante's experience is we, we're not like we don't just stay in one place. We, we move through the heavens up. And this is my experience in December 22nd, 1986 the same date you got for Robin, when I went through the seven levels of heaven, which was the most spectacular experience <clears throat> of my wife, you, I told God to stop after the third, which would be Venus. And I said, I can't take anymore because the ecstasy and the love and the peace and the beauty and the cosmic consciousness goes beyond your ability to, with, to bear. And you know you're living in too high a vibration, and you say, stop, I'm more comfortable with this level of love and bliss all day instead of this one. But that doesn't mean you might not venture off. So let's say your home base is Venus, the third, like where Crystal probably is now. That doesn't mean she didn't go to the sun, the fourth. And higher, probably to Jupiter, we sent her music on an, Jimmy's antenna all the way to Saturn and Jupiter and Mars and all of the planets from there down. And I remember when I went through the seven levels of heaven, I said, God, I'm the most comfortable with the third. There's too much bliss and ecstasy hmm. for me to bear. I said, stop, stop. In fact, there's examples in the Gnostic Gospels where the apostles, Jesus starts shining like the sun in a transfiguration and there's so much glory, love, and bliss. They're saying, stop, stop. We can't bear this. It's, it's beyond our ability to bear it because he's from an even higher order. So we know where we're comfortable. So when we say, when my youngest daughter says that her mommy was on the sun, she probably spent a certain amount of time there. And, of course, once you don't 
You know that. Yeah, but you keep you thinking die. of these things as physical. She's not in Venus or in the sun. They're gateways to something far beyond. Oh, oh, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. That's you're right. I agree. It's only proportionally that though you're right. They're gateways because they're not on the physical Venus. <laughs> you know, no, 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 they're not. They're vibrating in a higher dimensional Venus. Which now, is, all right. Let me, let me let me uh, introduce this into the conversation. Right. When you started doing the ratios based on her communications, you hit a ratio of something between Venus and Ma- and Mercury that is there, there is nothing there, right? There is nothing there. Yep. What and- if? What if? What if? If we're in a designer solar system, what if there is an object too small to be seen? but part of the redesign, in other words, a piece of hyper-dimensional technology, which we should be able to find with spacecraft and board. You know, in esoteric tradition, our solar system has more planets and bodies than are in physical dense. There are considered some planets that are between incarnations right now that are no longer here in physical dense, but are still an active part of the solar system and have effects. See, Richard, when I took the number 591 times the golden ratio and it matched the outer planets, there were two or three missing bands there, too. Right? Like, there's a lot of space between Mars and Jupiter. Well, imagine that, you have, imagine, imagine that you have a war and you've set up a tuned system for whatever reason. I mean, I've been thinking of this as kind of like a, an academy. This is school. So all the pertinences are supposed to kind of contribute toward the ultimate curriculum, which is to figure out what the hell is reality all about. And the war occurred, and there are major pieces now not just out of place. That's the percentage difference between perfect and close. But some of them are missing totally because they were just taken out. I see. So they were taken out. Yes. And and that would explain. If you want to destroy the HD machine, you have to destroy the machines functioning. So it means that the original solar system was perfectly harmonic to the golden ratio. Yes. And this Satanic and, and to us. Or figures, <clears throat> multiple dark beings, physically knocked these other harmonic orbits out. And that would explain why Mars is the most out. It has that gash on the side of it. It doesn't fit the model. It's sitting at 83% accuracy instead of better than 93, right? Like it's Yeah. So I like what you're saying. I, I never would have thought of this without you, but I think <laughs> I think you Now you know why I'm really excited about doing the show when you we sent me that first in, paragraph. We were creating a perfect musical harmonic. And one thing I did... I, I calculated all the frequencies based on the wavelength of all the planets up to Neptune. And, and, and Uranus is a perfect octave of Earth frequency. So I take the Earth's frequency and I take Uranus's frequency, which is a very low frequency, and I, I, divide, I divide by two and multiply by two to get all my octaves. And then I see where they overlap. And then I see the planets that are completely out of order. They don't have any octave shift connection and you have to look at a huge amount of numbers to to see what i'm saying but it 
it seems like it used to be a perfect golden ratio system, mm-hmm. and then it got knocked out. You and know, what this is all about. You know, uh, if you take a look at the chart that I have as number three on uh, on my uh, show notes, it shows the harmonic ratios of the planets as they should be. And the last one shows that same model on the human body. Again, the idea of as above, so below, that these same, ra- right. these same ratios and harmonies uh, have to do with the relationship between the chakras and the energies that play along the spine. Interesting. The, the, from Stanley's The History of Philosophy, Oh, wow. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, see, there you go. They used to be in perfect harmony, and they were knocked out. And that would – see, it's interesting because all the big planets correspond to the delta part of the brain. And Mars is alpha when I look at its frequency. Venus is very, very close to Earth. I mean, the Earth and Venus frequencies are are in the the theta part of the brain. And so, therefore, do our brain waves – correspond to the wavelength frequencies of the planets and when these planets get out of order because they were knocked out and we can see from the math mars was knocked out that therefore disturbs consciousness and causes perhaps violence and and disorder in humans on earth because we're receiving the wavelength frequencies of all the planets, and some of them are out of order, and some of them are in order. This system is broken. broken. Someone wanted to break the system, and they succeeded. The question is, how much? Well, we're we're not off by that much in the golden ratio. Yeah, but you don't have to, in frequencies, be off more than a little bit for the whole damn thing not to work. I know. So think of of a guitar or a violin, and you're only slightly out of tune, and you start some bad music and it Everybody sounds awful uh, it sounds awful yeah i mean and the, the closest i feeling. can think of is fingernails on a blackboard right you and know it's, it's off it's, by a tiny bit you don't have to be off. you know the difference between 432 and a440 is so little but that slight difference of slowing it's all it about frequency georgia yes go ahead uh, yeah, um, a couple of things. In the ancient Irish harp, uh, the traditional harp, which was an invocative instrument uh, that the Druids used, um, the, there were 33 strings um, on the traditional Irish harp. There were actually 34, but the two in the, in the middle were tuned to the exact same note, which divided the female voice of the harp from the male voice of the harp. And the strings were tuned to have effects on the 33 vertebrae of the spinal column. So that in a time when the airwaves were quiet and our nervous systems were far more receptive to live music than they are today, uh, the bards uh, had to be able to, in order to be a bard, you had to be able to produce music that would make people laugh, make people cry, make people go to sleep because the, the sound had such an effect on the listener's nervous system because the strings of the harp were tuned to the 33 vertebrae of the spinal column. 
Amazing. Mm. Now, I wonder how far back that goes. Does it go to the Druids or how yeah, far? Yeah, oh, yeah. I think it's far older than the Druids. Yeah, probably it, it is. But it's it's just, you know, really interesting that, of course, in Freemasonry, you have the stairway of 33 steps uh, to the room at the top of the stairs, which is a particular area of the brain, actually. The 33 steps are the 33 vertebrae of the spinal column into the third ventricle of the of the brain and of course but Georgia I have an extra vertebrae in my spine I'm one of one in a hundred thousand people that has this extra vertebrae so I have 34 <laughs> so <laughs> well, I'm in you're, the, you're the living Irish harp with the two strings <laughs> well all right let me let me throw something radically weird into the mix and then I have a very important question for David did you guys notice during the Trump indictment how many uh, uh, charges there are? 34. Why aren't there 33? Because he was indicted on a 33. Remember March 3, the 30th of March, that Thursday, 33. Ooh, wow. When Robin died, people pointed out to me instantly, because they're paying attention, I know you guys are watching us carefully, that she died on the 3rd of March, which was 3-3. Now, 33 Ooh. is not just the number of vertebrae. I think it's backward. I think the vertebrae were designed in the system as a mnemonic memory device. We could have any number of vertebrae, right? right 34, right. 27. You know, you could just space them differently, make the, you know, the, the bones work a little harder or be more efficient. In other words, 33 is kind of right. 33 goes back to the hyperdimensional equations. It's not an accident. It's an incredibly important number. So why were there on the 33rd, you know, symbolic day, why were there 34 indictments? And is this part of a secret communication that all of this is a stage play a la an ex-president, Horace, the presidency, the founding of the nation? It's all ritualistic. It's all part of a bigger something. Well, remember, Richard, that three and four make seven, right? Excellent. And in, in the ancient temples, you had uh, four directions, north, south, east, and west. You had this altar in the center, which makes five. And from the center, you can direct the elements, the directions, the, the, the four directions. So you've got five. But then you take the temple floor up a notch to seven, and you've got two more directions, up and down. Hmm. And then the final number, the nine of the initiate, in and out are the two final directions. Oh, interesting. So seven would be the four directions with mastery in the center, but the idea of up and down. Hey, Richard, I want to ask you something. Um, I, I noticed that Bobby Kennedy is filed to run for president. Right. And and I, I just I'm curious about your thoughts. I mean, I would pick him above anybody myself for my own reasons. We all have different ideas, but I find it interesting that suddenly he's on the stage here. And you mentioned at the beginning of the show that it won't be Biden. Well, I didn't say won't. I said it might not be. You know, Biden but, is getting getting up there, and he'll be eighty something. Uh, at the end of his second term, or maybe, yeah, at the end of his second term. So there may be physical, practical, medical reasons why he cannot run. And then, of course, you'd have it between Kamala, 
who is the obvious heir apparent. And you begin to see that now in her increasingly interesting visibility. I don't think that's accidental. That's getting us kind of far afield. But I do think that the whole Trump thing with this first indictment, going back to the root cause of the indictment, what ultimately isn't, aside from the legalisms, it's basically a man-woman thing, how they're starting off this ritual against this outlier in the history of U.S. Masonic-type presidencies of the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and another weird coincidence is that in the chakra system, there is a polarity between the sacral center, which governs uh, the reproductive uh, activity, and the throat center, which is if, if the lower center is procreative, the, the throat center is creative, the artist that makes music or does painting or whatever. It's also the center of the intellect, and it's the higher correspondent. And, of course, he's got this, this case that deals with the sacral activity um, being adjudicated in New York, which is the throat center of the United States. So it's like a, a lifting of that sacral energy up into the throat where it can be seen in the light of day. Well, see, if we've identified the, the musical instrument we're living in, which is the planets and their proportions, is out of order, then our consciousness, which interfaces with that, is out of order. What will bring it back to order? So I'm, I'm just going to read Revelation 2, 27 to 28, says, He will rule them with an iron scepter, which is a staff, and shatter them like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. So give him the morning star would be Venus. Is, is The ratio between Venus and Earth right now is still perfectly golden ratio. Perfect. So that would make it the center to bring everything back in, to proportion to that that is slightly out of order and Mars being considerably out of order. Hmm. In esoteric tradition, it's said that Venus is considered Earth's alter ego or sister planet. See, and- remember, Richard, when I did the math perfectly in the end in my item eight, the ratio 591 divided by the sidereal year in long decimal form gives me the golden ratio in nearly perfection and one more leap I met the number of Venus days. So that means if there is order left in the whole solar system, it's between us and Venus. So would Mm. that mean that something cosmic might be beckoning us or or in our near future that we should be looking towards the bright and morning star? To be taken up on the other side of our last break. My guests this morning, David Sarita and Georgia Lambert, and we're discussing the far-ranging implications of absolutely unassailable, incontrovertible communication from David's uh, now past wife, Crystal, who is connecting her existence and Venus, and we shall continue when we return.
And welcome back on this last half hour of the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, Monday, Monday morning, Easter, Sunday night, April 9th. We got a lot of callers kind of lined up. Guys, you want to take some calls because uh, there's some interesting people. I recognize some numbers. I will not give them away, but uh, you up for taking a couple of calls, guys? I just sure. want to say one more thing, George. Um, um, uh, Richard, did, no, I'm I not this, George, David. Come I know, on. But you know, it's funny that I called you George, but <laughs> this guy George Shields wrote me. That's why I said George. He's an electrical engineer, age 65, from Ontario, Canada. Right. And the same thing happened to him. Listen to what he wrote me. So we have confirmation. He hears his mother's voice saying, George, you're already connected. She passed December 21st of 2019, and he hears her voice March 20th, which is three days before I heard Crystal's voice, 2023. So he does the math, and it's exactly two times the Venus to Earth years again. Oh, my God. So we have an outside (laughs) source. And so this has happened to somebody else, and it happened, again, he hears his mom's voice on March 20th, and it lines up to two Venus years to when his mom dies, and I hear Crystal March 23rd. I mean, I was astounded when this guy contacted me. I said, did a portal just open? It is, I wonder how many other people out there, if you do the math. I don't think people are noticing because they're programmed not to. If they, if they I know, but... But the fact is, this just happened to this guy George Shields. I mean, I mean, you can even contact him. We can verify it. I mean, he's willing to go on the record. This actually happened. Right. But his is two Earth to Venus, so it's five ninety one. So why doesn't five. he call in? Nine one seven. No, I'm on the show tonight, but I can. No, 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 no. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight eight zero two. Is he listening to us now? No, I didn't tell him. Oh, oh, I thought this was an email that came in. No, it's, this came in not just now. This came in um, oh, okay. in the past week. And oh, okay I, phoned, okay. I phoned the guy. I wanted to know everything about yeah, him. Yeah, sure. But the fact that it's happened to another human being tells me th- that rules out chance. And I think the math rules out chance anyway. But now, oh, we're so far beyond chance. You could yeah. you could make a million bucks if you had these odds in Vegas. Hey, well, look. let's hear from your callers. Yeah, yeah we'll okay. Let me let me bring on the, the first caller. Uh, mystery caller, sign in, please. Hello, this is Robert Morningstar. I knew it was you, Robert. <laughs> yeah, Hi, Robert. I've been listening to the show, and uh, it's a great, great show. I want to clarify a couple of things. Uh, hello, Georgia. Hello, We're here. David. Hi. It's a wonderful way to celebrate Easter the concept of resurrection. The first message I have is for Richard, and you've often, uh, no, we've often noted that Robin passed away on the 3rd of March, but I think we've all missed, not I, but I, that's why I'm calling, you missed the third element. She died on the third month, on the third day of 2019. And when you add 2019, it comes out to 12, and when you reduce the 12, it comes out to 3. So she passed away on 333. Three, three. Okay. Next. She also Next. passed away exactly at dawn, at sunrise, 6.30 a.m. here. We got the time because it's all electronic and, you know, tapes and graphs and all that. And the reason right. that's important 
is because when she and I went to Teotihuacan to measure the physics of the massive pyramids there north uh, northeast of Mexico City, we deliberately got the crew up and we were there on the top of the Sun Pyramid at dawn to measure with the Accutron the physics. And exactly at dawn, there was a very strong double pulse in the frequency change of the Accutron. So when the nurses told me that she died at, at 6.30 a.m. and I looked up our time, you know, sunrise here in Albuquerque, and it was exactly at sunrise, you know, the various people on her uh, memoriam on, on the uh, other side of Midnight main page, they commented that now she'd know everything about the physics, and frankly, it seems that she does. That's a very beautiful image to remember. Now, I want to talk about the fall of Lucifer and his transmogrification into Satan. My name is derived from an ancient German bloodline called the Morgensterns. It's a very mystical bloodline. And on the winter solstice of 1974, my soul was taken out of my body and I was transported to the beginning of time. God said to me, Robert, you are going to be my witness. I am going to show you why things are the way they are. And my soul was taken into the infinite darkness where I was a drop in the ocean of consciousness. My soul was a drop in an ocean, but my soul was allowed to know that it was only a drop in this immense ocean of consciousness. And in this ocean of consciousness, it saw everything in all directions in that single moment when it awoke. And when it awoke, consciousness awoke and said, I am here. And when he said, I am here, this radiance went out through the universe. And I looked in all directions at one time. I was the all-seeing eye. And when I looked down, I saw the pleroma, which is the atmosphere in the immediate vicinity of the Godhead. And I saw infinite blackness beneath me where the radiance faded out. The radiance went out and struck something, like a ping, like a sonar. There was a very dim light that was reflected. And at that moment, this cloud of consciousness was drawn to that point and when it arrived there at an immense speed it said i am that that is my soul and when it arrived this immense love burst out of the godhead and infused life into this universal soul and it changed it it changed its nature it melted the frozen eggshell you might say and it suddenly exploded and on the explosion I saw a being emerge come out of it and it was the most perfect being most beautiful being anyone could imagine and he came through me he came at me he came through me he passed through me and he said to me I know you I've known you since the beginning of time I know everything you've ever done and everything you'll ever do and still, I love you. And it went on. And the fireball, which is what the universal soul looked like, was 
in roiling vorticular motion. And I could see two figures wrestling inside. It was a battle between fire and water. And the vortex grew so great that the liquid elements were thrown to the equator and the light elements were thrown into the axis. And at one point, all of the light escaped through the North Pole and a huge arc. And when it congealed, it was the most perfect human being anyone could ever imagine. It was the cosmic Christ. And he looked exactly like the Father, like the one that passed through me and said those things to me. The waters congealed. They collapsed into another being. And this being was demonic. It was absolutely incredible. It was extremely beautiful. It was biped. It was upright. It was gigantic. It was white. It had blue eyes. It had horns. It looked like a lion man. And the lion man and the cosmic Christ and I and the Godhead all knew that we were all interdependent upon each other for our identities, that this was a really local event, and that we were all creating co-creators. However, while the Spirit and the Christ and the Witness, which is who I am, knew that we were all interdependent, Lucifer did not realize that he was encased in ego. And he wanted to be back in the darkness where he had suffocated the light, had kept it suffused for all eternity until this moment. And he did not like this new situation. And so what he said is he challenged the Christ to a battle, to the death. He said to him, fight me, fight me. I can no longer thus exist. Either I will slay you or you will slay me. I can no longer thus exist. And Christ said to him, Oh, my brother, can you not see that he and you and I are one in three? And if you try to slay me, you will only slay your own true self. <clears throat> he turned away from the fight. He walked away in this cosmic space. At that moment, Lucifer said, I will kill him. I will dig my claws into his back. I will rip out his heart. I will tear his body into pieces and cast it as my tabernacle. Then I alone will be king, king of the universe. And in that moment, Lucifer leapt to kill the cosmic Christ. But what he did not know was that the Godhead, the Spirit, the Witness, and Christ knew his thoughts before he leapt. And Christ evaded the attack. When the attack unfolded, he missed the attack. And he hit a vault, what I call proto-space. Proto-space is space through which light and time have not yet passed. And he was liquidated, literally. And his nature changed from that beautiful angel into a long pool of slime that came down like a snake. And as this unfolded, I was in shock because Christ cried out. He gave out a wail. And in that wail, he cried. And the cry, I yelled it in trance. And my soul came back into my throat. But as that yell went out, the cry of love, as I call it, Christ said to himself, 
he wept for his brother who had died, never having known love. And he said, I will raise him again. I will redeem him. But he is too dangerous and he must be redeemed very slowly. Now, with regard to the fall of Lucifer from Venus, the morning star, the error we are making is mistaking that planet which we call Lucifer. The Romans called it Lucifer. That's why it's associated with him. But as above, so below. So this Venus, the solar system is a microcosm of that original system. And the original morning star was that first light of the Big Bang. And it was there where the Shekinah resided. And it was there from which Lucifer fell. And he fell into matter. And in every one of us, there is an iota of Christ and an iota of Satan, iota of Lucifer and the Holy Spirit. It's cosmic alchemy. So that is why Lucifer is considered evil, because he wanted to become God. And the only way that he could become God was to try to kill God. And that's all I have to say for this Easter Sunday. It's been a long time waiting for this to be revealed. And you are my dearest friends, and I'm happy to share this with you. And that happened to me on the winter solstice of 1974. And I've waited all these years to share that. I have shared it with other friends. I've actually made a film depicting what I saw, my vision, and I show it privately, and you're all welcome to view it whenever we can get that to happen. So, happy Easter to all of you. God loves us all. There is no anger. There is no hatred. There is no revenge in Christ. Christ is love. If a Messiah comes along and elicits calls for hatred, he's not the Messiah. God is love. He loves the sinner as much as the saint. So, with that, I'll say... Pro Cristo Rege. Happy Easter, Robert. Thank you, Robert. Thank you very much. Thank you. God bless you all. Have a good night. Bless you. Fascinating. Wow. Okay, I think we have someone else I know on the line. Area 727, you're on the air. Yeah, this is Stephen, and I'll be quick because I was on last night. Um, it's okay. You don't have to be quick. Would... No, 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 no. We don't have any standards. You can talk as long as you want, as long as you say something interesting. <laughs> okay. Go, go for One it. One thing I think we could do is if it would be interesting to take – it would make sense if when they planned the solar system that the Earth's orbit around the uh, – the, there would be 360 days to the year instead of 365. Mm-hmm. Okay. How so do you, you how do you know? Wait, wait, wait. How do you know in the original design that was not the canonical 360? Yeah. Because the 360 system is not arbitrary. It's totally top to bottom, hours, minutes, seconds. It's all hyperdimensional. So you're onto something. Right. And if it was off, that's off 1.5 percent. Now it would be interesting to see if you adjusted all the other planets the same way 1.5%, how close you get to harmony. See, this is David's uh, mean, wheelhouse, well, you have to, and he will have the answer for us in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, as you saw the frequencies I have in front of me for all the planets, 
excluding Pluto. Um, it's like I said, most of them are within an octave or a golden ratio octave. I tested the golden ratio as an octave versus a traditional octave, which is times two or divided by two to go down. And you can see that there are certain planets like, like uh, Neptune, um, Uranus to Earth are nearly perfect in harmony with each other. But then some of them are out just by a little bit, and Mars is the most out. So if you adjusted all of them, then they would all still stay out of order. It seems that you have to adjust Mars the most and the other ones just a little bit. But Venus and Earth are still almost 100% perfect. So that's, um, you know, when you read Dante's descriptions of what it's like to go with Beatrice as his tour guide, he sees Jesus at each level of heaven getting brighter and brighter and brighter. So Jesus' body gets more and more powerful the higher up Dante goes. So what I'm saying is that the, the Bible tells us that there's something really important about the Venus-Earth um, proportion that doesn't allow the evil to exist on Venus, but somehow for a time it's able to exist here on or Earth. Or come through. You keep saying on. They're okay, portals. Yeah, they're through. gates. They're not places. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. you know, I agree with you that they're gates. I agree. Yeah, but most but people is, don't. When you say on, they're going to think there's something on 900 degree Venus. No. Well, you know, but Richard, think of. Yeah, I just read this book. You know the the. Stranger at the Pentagon, and this guy, Valiant Thor, who claims to be from Venus and lands his ship near the Pentagon. It's an incredible book. Um, and Valiant Thor is a Christian who lives on Venus. So they, he claims they live underground in the planet. That's one of the descriptions. So the question is, is what you're saying is it's a portal. I think there's a higher dimension on each of the planets. I don't believe... What Pythagoras says is that if you had your physical body in Venus, you're right. You couldn't survive there. It's too hot. But if you had a spiritual body, what would you see when you open your eyes on Venus? And the esoteric model is that in this solar system, Earth is the, the last one whose life wave is in physical dense, that the other planets, their life wave is a one notch up. And we're living in a time when the planet itself is applying for initiation. And if the planet makes that leap into just tweaking up the frequency that that will be in a frequency band that can interact with some of these other dimensions. See, what you're saying, George, is what Pythagoras said. When, when you get not in this physical body, which and look at what the body is, the atoms are just little vibrations, which are mostly empty space. So right. when, we, when we shed this off, suddenly the whole solar system is populated on all the planets. And exactly. And and the thing is that we have these bodies now. The esoteric model is you have the physical body. The next level up is the vital body that is part of the acupuncture system. Then there's the astral body, which is the body of emotions. Then there's the mental body. And then there's the body of the soul on its own plane called the buddhic body or the egoic lotus in uh, Hindu tradition. And each of these is in a higher and higher frequency range. 
So we're already multidimensional beings, even though our senses are imprisoned in just the physical body, pretty much. Right. So maybe here's another interesting question for for all of us. If on the higher without this body, shedding this body, we see that the universe is more evolved, that there's life on all the other planets as Pythagoras and Dante experience, then maybe we're the last of these organic beings. Yeah. And, and yeah. this AI idea, you know, you see Spielberg's movie AI, which is way ahead of its time. And you get to the end of that movie and you're coming to the current question Richard brought up in the beginning about this whole debate about AI. Maybe these organic bodies are done at this level and we're not going to be around much longer, but the AI representation of us will be. I don't know. I don't uh, know. We've got, what, maybe 10 minutes till the end of the show. Amazing. It's gone really swiftly tonight. Um, David, crucial question. We have a window according to George's, you know, uh, physiological and scientific data before the girls move to another state of consciousness. Are you recording their discussions on Crystal while you can and trying to get as much information kind of loaded into their long-term memory so they can make a transition that isn't of just forgetting? Oh, yeah. I, I, we talk about it almost every day. In fact, even what we're talking about on the show, I've talked about to my two daughters. And even at their ages, they can understand it quite well. Like not as well as we can mathematically. But I've shown them Venus in the sky. I've shown them my star finder. And I've said that's where mommy's communicating from. And they get really excited about it. In fact, when we were all with Stephen Fife's at the hotel where I took the photograph and we saw Venus right where mom died, we were all astonished. Like, what hmm. would be the odds that he would get a room that would line up with where she died and there's Venus? And then the Well, and it had to be on those particular dates because Venus is not – Hang around. Well, look at this. So, so the so the equinox in Canada was March twentieth, right? And George Shields' experience was on March twentieth. Mine was on March twenty third, and that would mean is there something about like what happened to you with Robin on winter solstice? What happened to me going through the seven levels of heaven was winter solstice. What Robert Morningstar? I just said Robert just gave us another data point. I know, and now. This is spring equinox within a window of, you know, my experience is three days from the equinox. George Shields was on the equinox. So there's something about there's an opening to consciousness in those windows, give or take a few days, you know. And well, remember that the, that the breath of the earth is a 28-day cycle. The, the dowsers and instrumentality have proved that if, if we think of a standing stone like an acupuncture needle into the earth, for two weeks the energy moves from the earth up into the atmosphere. There's a slight pause and then the other two weeks the, from the atmosphere back down into the earth. So there's a natural breath of the earth itself um, 
that that has to do with not only the month but the yearly cycle and so on and so forth and the human body is geared to that our cerebrospinal fluid from the time it's manufactured in the ventricles in the brain till the time it it uh, transits down the spinal cord to bathe the spinal cord and then it comes back up and it's reabsorbed that's a 28-day cycle yeah, and which you can divide by four to get my magic seven. There remember, you go. Remember the seven-day biological cycle that COVID revealed? Because yeah. simply of all the statistics collected all over the world simultaneously and money was spent on putting it together, and bingo, I really feel there is a fundamental seven-day cycle of all life on Earth it's probably buried in somebody's data. Nobody's collated it yet, and it's just there for the taking. Interesting. So there, there. I agree with you, Richard, about the, the planets being portals, frequency gateway portals to a higher dimensional. Well, layer. here's something I haven't talked right. about before. I have imagery from the Soviet Venus landing probes from the 1960s, which show unmistakably artificial structures, ruins. It's in the, now, they did not have much control of where they landed, so they pretty much landed at wherever the winds blew them after they entered. So it means there must be extensive ruins on Venus that post-date the ultimate catastrophe of the war. And because of the Venus environment, they have to be relatively recent. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be there, which means we're looking at a before and after the solar system was viciously attacked to change its design to have, I believe, the effect of kind of precluding us from an easy transfer between this reality, and higher dimensions. That's incredibly profound what you said. I, I think that you're, that is what the real fall was. The real fall yes, was the war. Exactly. Yeah. The war was against the entire solar system. And once you put those, it's like having a set of tuning bowls in front of you. Each yep, planet yep, is a tuning yep. bowl. And yeah. when you detune them, nobody can stand the vibration. It's messing you up. Because you don't want to listen to bad music, and bad music <laughs> no. makes bad consciousness. So yeah. ninety and detune the solar system. That's see, the, I never would have thought of this without you, Richard. I think it's the most profound thing in the math that Crystal gave us. Is we used to be tuned, and now we're detuned, and there has to be a way back. There has there to, has be, a way to be a way to reconstruct the system, right. and that's another show. Hey, Earth, Earth has a part to play, and that's why we're so interesting to so many folks. Hey, guys. Oh, my God. There should be billions listening to this show tonight. There will be, eventually. <laughs> hey, I want to thank everybody. We're out of time, folks, so I really don't want to uh, uh, kind of languish in the deserts of uh, between shows. So stay tuned next week. We have some interesting stuff planned. You're going to want to not miss it. I want to thank my guests tonight, David Sarita and Georgia Lambert, and our callers, Robert Morningstar, an amazing story, Robert, and Steve from Massachusetts. 
So until next Saturday night, same time, same bat channel, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.